I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. <laughs> the Rise of Skywalker. It's an instinct. fight if we lead them. People keep telling me they know me. No one does. But I do. Long have I waited. And now... Coming together. Is your undoing. What, uh, what are you doing there, 3PO? Taking one last look, sir, at my friends. Confronting fear is the destiny of a Jedi. Your destiny Come to it at last. The closing out of the trilogy, the closing out of the saga, clearly not the last Star Wars movie, almost certainly not the last numbered episode, not the final appearance of a Skywalker, but a significant end nonetheless. And this is a significant show for us too, because way, way back in 2010, while my video game shows Digital Cowboys were still going, the prequels and the original trilogy were the first six episodes on my movie podcast, Digital Gonzo. You're listening to the Gonzo Star Wars specials. I'm Alex Shaw. Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. And ten years later, I am rejoined by one of my guests from those shows and from The Last Jedi. Hello, Mr. Neil Taylor. This is the way. This time around, we also have my co-pilot, wife and mentor and co-creator of We Need to Talk About Anakin, Sharon Shaw. Hello. From the Star Wars commentaries and the Ultimate Edition versions of those original trilogy shows and The Force Awakens and Rogue One and the solo episode, it's voice actor Alex Eading. Hello, everyone. Returning from the Last Jedi episode, it's Brendan Agnew. Marion says hi to everyone, by the way. Oh, hi, Marion. And from the Mana Pool and our Deadpool shows and our Overwatch show and some episodes of Bad Reviews Against Humanity, it's Chewy Slate. I'm the spy. This was a show that required a ton of preparation. 
And I started thinking about how we feel about Star Wars and how there are now 12 theatrically released movies, one through nine, plus Clone Wars, plus Rogue One, plus Solo. And very few of us love all of them. And this means there are going to be movies released that make us individually happy and make us individually angry. This led me to coin two new terms, happy stars and angry stars. And I want to make this clear, these aren't names that we get to label others with, at least not out loud. This is strictly self-diagnosis, though it's a helpful aspect to remember when someone gets on your case about your feelings. Oh, we've got an angry star here. And it shifts as different kinds of movies come out. Case in point, when Phantom Menace emerged in 1999, I was still a happy star after a decade and a half of loving the original trilogy and picking up the merchandising. After that, I fell slowly into a decade and a half of being an angry star, resentful of the way that Lucas made his new trilogy, still buying the collectibles, but in this weird masochistic fashion whereby I wished it would be better and it wasn't. There were still brief blips of things that I really liked. The Force Unleashed and Gendy Tartakovsky's Clone Wars. Really liked those. But by and large, I was angry and it felt bad, reaching a weirdly bitter peak with the release of the 2011 Blu-rays and all of their additional alterations following the rant-filled podcast series for Digital Gonzo whereby I had just said, make as many alterations to your films as you like, George. That's absolutely your prerogative. But for history's sake, as well as the fans, release a box set with every cut in the best possible quality. To date, this still hasn't happened. My I had become part of the belligerent, critical background narrative whereby Star Wars was broken and all I wanted was for it to be better for everyone. Angry Star. Then came 2015 and The Force Awakens and I was over the moon. I loved the new episodes. I did not love Rogue One or Solo, but The Last Jedi has had more and more of a profound effect on me in more recent months. Bought tons of merch too. Happy Star. What this boils down to is that it's okay to be an angry star, provided we're not being utter dicks about it. It stems from wanting something different than what we ended up getting. Mikey Newman referred to Star Wars as nothing less than American mythology, and that absolutely stands up to scrutiny, conforming to all requirements. Now, historically, religion is mythology plus community. That's when you get a whole group together who really believe in something simple yet complex with a story to be told and a set of rules. Unfortunately, when those rules are clung to fiercely, you get mythology plus community minus flexibility, which leads to religious zealotry. And even those of us listening and present who are religious will recognize similarity, I'm assuming, between arguments about Jesus and arguments about Luke Skywalker. That's not coincidental. Star Wars matters, sometimes too much. In truth, there is no way we can make everybody happy with this episode. Everyone's take-home is just too sharply contrasting. Some people straight up hate 
The Rise of Skywalker, while others love it, and the discourse among fans online has been fierce, same as it has been since there was an online. But it got a serious kick in 2015 and an even harder, more violent shove in 2017. And the thing is, regular people think we're all a bunch of tossers. And frankly, they have a point. As fandoms go, this feels unwelcoming, inflexible, close-minded, and aggressive. That doesn't mean you are those things if you didn't like the latest film or you didn't like The Last Jedi. Just that the perception of Star Wars fans has become that. They don't. Yeah, there's a reason why Star Wars is a muted word on my Twitter. <laughs> Regular people don't differentiate between whether you hated The Force Awakens or Last Jedi or Solo or Rise of Skywalker. There's no way to keep score on individual preferences. All that seems apparent is that whatever we get offered, some of us hate it and some of us love it. And the caricature people are getting is the subject of that song. Hush, little baby, don't say a word. Mama's gonna buy you a mockingbird. And if that mockingbird don't sing, Mama's gonna buy you a diamond ring. And if that diamond ring turns brass, Mama's gonna buy you a looking glass. We've established that Mama is Disney now. And the child that cannot be satisfied is Star Wars fandom. Individually, absolutely, all of us can love at least one Star Wars movie, most likely several, and we can be very happy with that. But collectively, what people see every day is the clash between happy stars and angry stars. And I just want that conflict to stop, or at least I want that collateral damage that occurs due to that conflict to be lessened significantly. I want this fandom to be a welcoming, exciting haven especially for future fans, because without future fans, a fandom dies. I ran the fact that I can't make everyone happy past our community on Twitter and on the Discord and let you all know that I was getting filled with anxiety at the prospect of having to cover this movie. And the response I got was unanimous and something that I knew already. You folks don't listen to us so that we can just mirror your opinions right back at you to reinforce them. You listen to us to gain additional insight and to enjoy our enthusiasm. Our average listener rarely agrees with us all of the time, but you want to hear what we feel. And if you've just joined us, and statistically about half the listeners to our Star Wars shows are brand new newcomers, that's going to be what's coming up, folks. So originally, I was going to structure this show first with the negative side of things, wherein my guests and I would address the issues that we and a lot of other people have with this film. Then we were going to do the positive side, so we could leave you on a high note, so like dark side, light side. But the danger began to rise up as I started getting sucked down into the swamps of sadness out of never-ending story, just like motherfucking Artax. Because it turns out that wallowing in an hour or so of negativity will be exhausting and won't make anyone feel better and won't really give that many people all that much insight. Uh, we may not even have the strength to wade back out again then and cover the good. So I decided needs to fear. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I decided it was best to not desperately attempt to make everyone happy. But the key here to how we read and absorb each element of the film and its thesis as a whole is context. And that is something I have always prided myself on providing you all with. Context. 
Ergo, over recent days I've decided it's better to talk about the way each character's journey has come to an end here. Maybe not the absolute end, but at least the end of the trilogy or end of the saga, as it stands in nine parts. That way we can talk about the good and the bad together and go back and forth. And as always, this is just our reading on it. We don't state absolutes on School of Movies. It sounds like we're stating absolutes because we sound really confident about it, but it's just our reading. So, to Rise of Skywalker, let's start with something simple. The good and the bad of, say, Chewbacca in Rise of Skywalker. So, I'm going to throw this one out to the group. You want to talk about Chewie? I need to give Chewie a hug. I feel really bad for him in this film. Mm. And I really, I almost cried when he sort of let out his anguish roar. I was like, because it just took me a second. I was like, oh, wait, yeah, he hasn't got anyone now. That's that was heartbreaking. I need to hug Chewie. Yeah, because that, that's his, that howl is his realisation that he's the last one left. And the the kind of the... The flip side to that is him being with Lando again. Hmm. Because that makes him not the last one anymore. And it's it gives you that kind of the, the in-breath and out-breath of grief and loss. The How the healing for that grief comes in the form of somebody else who you love. I'm just happy that I, sorry, he wasn't blown up. I was watching this with uh, my co-host Brian and his nine-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. And when the explosion happened and everyone yelled, Chewie, she turned and looked at me with her mouth open. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know either. Just just going for this one. How many people went, oh, God, they mooned him again? Ah, uh, yeah, that's uh, he got crushed oh. by a moon in the comics oh, a long time yeah. ago. They killed Chewie. <laughs> you bastards. The universe killed Chewie. Uh, that's why everyone hates it. Um, no, no just, everyone loves the extended universe. I was being expanded universe. Um, <laughs> no, Lyra was exactly the same. She wailed. She was like, initially incredibly shocked, and then when they didn't relieve that, she, she started to crumple up and, and fall apart, so that then it became a huge relief. Uh, could it be considered something of a... <sighs> I've seen it said that uh, somebody pointed out Ray's using the force lightning as a kind of a, I, you will not take this from me and trying desperately to hold on to him, having terrible consequences, parallels Anakin, and for that to send Rey in, spiraling into shock and to not have it uh, allayed quite so quickly uh, might have uh, led to some you know, real character growth. Uh, and at least that would have propelled her more believably down the dark side if she was actually stricken with grief over that Mm. anybody it's one of those things that really it's weird to me that disney had such a big year with avengers endgame which is three hours long and that the last jedi was a big hit for them which was like 10 minutes longer than this that this feels really cut to the bone and the the way that we've talked about chewy is like it's a very functional beat in the story and the way that it fits in with what ray does is it makes sense but so much of what I feel like might be the reactions to Rise of Skywalker is there's a lot of parts that feel mechanically like they move things forward, but they're so quick and mm. bunched so close together that there's very little breathing room for them to really land emotionally. And I think this is this is one of those that definitely feels like 
were just so breathlessly racing past this, that, reveal, force heal, Ray's using lightning, Chewie's dead, maybe he's dead, how does this make her feel? And it's just, it's also bunched together with all these other emotions that we're feeling at the same time that it's, you know, our, our, our feelings are just kind of overloaded by this entire experience. Mm. There's, there's no breathing room. It's... Someone mentioned it. I kind of agree that it feels like it's two movies crammed together. It doesn't give you any breathing room, time for things to sink in, time to resonate, time for uh, even to the characters for things to grow. Because when Ray reaches out with Force Lightning, you're like, wait, hang on, what? Because that's we've not seen a... No, we haven't seen the light side user do that. You know, that's usually, traditionally. Uh, uh, closest so, we got was Yoda striking the tree with a bolt of lightning, but it didn't come directly out of his hand. Yeah, I suppose. But, it's, you know, you, you know, you need to both give the time for the audience and the characters yeah. to breathe and take in that situation. But, yeah, we've, we've got like, oh, my God, Razor and Dark Side Lightning and Chewie's dead in the same breath. Mm. Yeah, endings endings are hard, and how many movie trilogies end in a way that's satisfactory for everyone, even when they do have the same creative team? Even Return of the Jedi, there's some people who are like, yeah, well, it's good, but it's not as good as the other two. Like, Return of the King is an hour longer than this, and it's a similar situation where you have a second movie where there's a bunch of new characters introduced, and then we have to play with all of them in the third movie. Except, what if the third movie was an hour short? Can you imagine cutting an hour out of Return of the King and having it still work? Mm-hmm. This, I mean, there's just... Endings are hard. Um, but this... I, I, Like I said, one of the main things that I'm going to keep coming back to is I think there are a lot of mechanical parts in The Rise of Skywalker that feel like they're functional story beats and really do kind of do some interesting things with elements both introduced in The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi... But I would actually argue this feels like three movies in one. This is like Abrams doing the greatest hits from A New Hope and Empire and Jedi. Because hmm. you have Desert Planet, rescue someone from a Nazi space station. Then you have, oh no, big thing about your parentage. Oh no, I'm going to go back to the planet where I was trained and talk to my ghost master. Now I'm going to have a big confrontation with the Emperor. It's it's all three Star Wars movies, but the greatest hits of all of them just like thrown at you so fast. That is true. We'll talk about Rey when we get to her, but the way Return of the Jedi works, Luke gets his news in the end of Empire, and then he's, has, <clears throat> he's having to deal with it still in Jedi, but there is a le- measure of acceptance, like he knows the score. He doesn't get that sudden, oh shit, I'm also... Like, imagine if they'd actually held back the Vader parentage until Return of the Jedi. Imagine if he'd actually said, Obi-Wan killed your father, and then twisted it around and went, nah, it's bollocks. <laughs> and like, if Luke had been like sulking and wouldn't talk to the ghost of Obi-Wan for a year in between that and rescuing Han. Yeah. I don't want to talk to you. You killed my dad, Anakin Skywalker. From a certain point of view, I suppose I did. Uh, how do we feel about Chewie finally getting his medal? Ah, that's the other note I put about him. Is, 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 is that like for the second time? Because technically the comics did it. And this is something that bothers me, but the comics, he got one. He gave it away. Oh, no. Is that a new canon for the comics? New canon. Okay, yeah, cool. Canon. Uh, by the way, uh, expect in the next few years for them to start uh, uh, basically contradicting comics left, right, and center. Because they've comics already had the books. Yeah, hundreds of comics and, and books already mm. written since uh, 20. 
2013, 2014, when they first started, like the, the preamble before Force Awakens, there is going to be fertile ground that's already been covered that they have to basically go, nope, we're, we're painting over it. And then we'll, oh, yeah. remember that EU canon canonosity scale where it's like if it was in the movies, it's the most real. If it's oh, no, this, in a this, fanfic, this it's the least real. Says, if it isn't in the films, it isn't canon. <laughs> I refer you to the they fly now line. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I did see somebody say um, that the, the giving Chewie the medal thing is something that was born of fandom talk and was very like exemplary of being very reactive. I thought it was sweet, but I can totally see why it's like, oh, hey, Chewie got a medal. In the same way that at the end of The Last Jedi... Carrie made sure she hugged Chewie because people were saying, why did Carrie go straight past... Sorry, Leia. Why did Leia go straight past Chewie to hug Rey at the end of uh, The Force Awakens? So they're like, make sure that happens. And then let's just make sure Chewie gets a medal. Discuss? I'd have preferred to see him interact a little bit more with Lando since Lando's kind of his last link to the original trilogy's mm-hmm. cast. Yep. And that that just felt like something that would have been more dramatically important giving his big reaction earlier. Yeah. But it's fine, you know, whatever. I mean, ultimately, within Star Wars, the, I, I divided it. Um, I worked out my three favorite bits from the uh, new trilogy are, uh, that one's garbage, the garbage will do, which is the action side of Star Wars. Um, you know, okay, the Force is not a superpower you have when Luke's talking to Rey and she's starting to feel the Force, that whole scenario there. And then no one's ever really gone. So you've got the philosophy in the middle and then you've got the interpersonal drama at the end. Those three things are very important for uh, Star Wars to be balanced. And this one, I think, had a hell of a lot of the action and nowhere near, oh, well, we've already said, nowhere near enough time to just space out that interpersonal drama. And being given a medal is like a really quick like box tick as opposed to making it a conversation between two people that feels valuable. So let's move on to 3PO, uh, who had a similar death and rebirth within a few minutes. Anyone? Yeah, I was so pleased that 3PO finally got an acting moment mm-hmm. um, because that. it has been all of the movies and Anthony Daniels has always only been, you know, a little bit of exposition here, a little bit of comic relief here, usually bad comic relief. Yeah. Um, he got a little was, bit in Revenge of the Sith when he was like, oh dear, when things were really going to hell. He didn't really get to say much, but like he was and he wasn't really grasping it, but... You're absolutely right. He's he's always had that chops. Continue, sorry. But yes, but I, I was just so pleased that that he was able to have an emotional moment and 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 really dive in. I I would say for for all of the 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 nine film, the, all of the numbered films, I feel like some of our stronger acting performances are really are really showing up more in 7, 8, and 9 mm-hmm. than even the original trilogy. Now, granted, the original trilogy I still think are absolutely fantastic and they're full of great performances by talented people, but I think in the sequel trilogy we're starting to see a little bit more uh, space given for certain um, emotional moments. Uh, I think they're being more intentionally put in. Yeah, I think part of that comes from the addition of another generation of actors there was a distinct shift in not necessarily the process but the way 
performances go across uh, in the 70s and it was one of the things that contributed to the whole burst out of that decade of the blockbuster and I think we are currently maybe up to about sort of five to ten years ago now getting a similar shift now in terms of how people who are relatively new to the game are throwing their whole self into their performances. The fact that Mm -hmm. this was really the first big thing that Daisy Ridley had done Mm. and yet how wholeheartedly is she Ray from Jump Street? Yeah. JJ is also really, really, really good with actors, and this is a movie that very much underlines that. And I think that specifically the moment where Daisy Ridley asks 3PO, you know the odds better than anyone, which takes what's primarily been the comedy gag of 3PO, of like, oh, he's going to say the odds to this, or blah, 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 and then we're going to do it anyway, and it's so funny because he's always worried. And Abrams takes a, a callback moment, but actually does something new and dramatic with it that's secretly i think one of the best choices that he makes in this entire movie because it's reflective but also an emotional and character payoff and the 3po might be the best he's ever been in this movie oh yeah i i agree uh, the, the the i'm taking one last look at my friends and i predicted on our um patreon prediction show that this was it for anthony daniels this was his swan song and it might well be and I didn't. I did not want to see three PO die, but there's something in the idea of him who the, the the first face we see on screen from the original Star Wars taking his bow here when they couldn't actually finish what they couldn't actually give Carrie her final performance in the flesh. It uh, it had to be digital, digitally assisted and implied, um, and they. It seems like they were going down that road, and the idea being that once once he translates this, we can't get 3PO back, not even like a, a factory reset. He's gone after this. And that would just have... That would have brought the house down for me. But it was just a sort of, a, oh, thank, thank goodness R2 had a backup. <laughs> it wasn't even as sweet a scene as the end of War Lee, which is literally the same scene. They they do set up so many characters to have like a big heroic death and then pull back on almost all of them, almost like they're 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 afraid of the body count that's already been in this trilogy because it's been considerable. Yeah. We lose the entire original tripod over the course of these movies, and that's a lot to process emotionally. Yeah. And that was clearly definitely going to be the the, the point of it uh, from from the get-go. They were like, right, so this the first one's Hans, mm-hmm. second one's Luke's, third one clearly intentionally supposed to be Leia's. And the, I've been calling this the legacy trilogy rather than the sequel trilogy for a while now because there will be more sequels. <laughs> and technically the prequels are also sequels. So it, uh, it, it, I'm sort of going against the trend there. But that that's what this is it is the passing on of the lightsaber and and you're supposed to take it with you ray rather than burying it <laughs> but like you know pass that one on to someone else but like she is leaving that to then be passed on yeah, to someone else it's but there for someone to find. yeah the saying goodbye to all of these old guard has been the dramatic cornerstone of all of this like even though it's been about ray and ben it's really been about accepting and moving on from our childhood heroes 
and seeing them at their fragile age. Especially since Ray and Ben are kind of us reflecting on those heroes and going, okay, well, what do we do with these legacies Mm. of these people that we grew up admiring? That's kind of what the whole sequel, well, legacy trilogy is is about, is about people inheriting Star Wars. So uh, Digitally Assisted Leia, how did her final performance strike you? This, for me, was one of the more frustrating elements. There's two things in particular in terms of uh, script choices, performance choices that they made, and it was done with a tone of, we had to do it this way, we had no choice, and I don't agree that they had no choice. And One of them was how they handled Leia. Oh, we understand, Chewie, don't we? You had no choice. <laughs> <laughs> one of them is how they handled Are you Leia. at this point throttling and J.J. Abrams? I, I, might <laughs> I might be. There's um, still a chance to save Leia with <laughs> digital technology. <gasps> no. It didn't work that well in Rogue One. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, the sorry, other carry one. On. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to answer. Okay. <laughs> okay, um, the other one was how they handled Rose, but we'll, uh, I'm sure, yep, come to that at some point. That's a whole friggin' bullet yeah. point. But yeah. with Leia, I felt like. I think what I found frustrating about it was it was like they were trying to pretend she wasn't gone, and that felt wrong. Hmm. Because. Everybody who walks into that cinema knows you don't have Carrie Fisher anymore. She's been gone three years, like yesterday. Absolutely. Everybody who walks into that cinema knows that Carrie Fisher is far better than this half-assed, dozen-line performance that they've cobbled together. From a bunch of scraps. And... It it almost felt like it would have been better to just have her elsewhere. Or in that fanfic uh, Jenny Nicholson read where we start, we start episode nine with a grave. Yeah, or a funeral. Really? Or we were both going, ah, at that, that idea. It's like, yeah, yeah so I'm just dead in between movies. But Thank having, you. But having seen the alternative, it just, it doesn't feel right. I, I, there's, there's not much that I can put onto it other than an emotional gut feeling, which is that it didn't feel right. I'm definitely because not disagreeing with that. There's, it, it, there were just too many moments where the setup was strong and meaningful and in particular her interactions with Ray and then they they put in whatever line they had from Carrie and when and that's it that's all she said that's all Leia said or maybe she just gave her a meaningful look and said nothing and I think it was that part of my brain was going if this was the actual script and you had Carrie Fisher there she would have made some shit up that was better than what after you just she bitch slapped him after she bitch slapped him okay you need this as a feed in line otherwise the yeah. resultant response line is dead absolutely that she is she is a writer and she was better than this. And I, and I just, I found that frustrating. It didn't overwhelm the film for me. But it, every time she was on screen, it just felt like there was a, a palpable absence that they could not fix. I definitely mourned Leia's loss during The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, she had passed before that movie released. Yeah. A year before. It was so, dedicated to her. Yes. So, like, I went in 
to Last Jedi, and every Leia scene had me just I was I was unable to handle it. Yeah. And then for this one, I felt like I was watching it in a little bit of a haze, just kind of wondering what was going on. Now I didn't find out until after the first viewing of Rise of Skywalker how they had done what they did. Mm. I didn't realize that it was, you know, old footage that they didn't use that they plugged in. And then on my second viewing, after I'd learned that, it really, like, all the air was gone from huh. from what they had built. So much of what Carrie Fisher brings to Leia, because like Sharon said, this is the first time Leia appears where Carrie Fisher wasn't doing, like, on-set script tweaks hmm. because she wasn't there, is Leia's funny. Leia's funny and a little bit catty and... She's got this kind of duality to her where she can be, you know, important, diplomatic-y, but she'll also be a little bit acerbic um, personally. And and we we only see her in, like, these very small, isolated, you know, lines that they had to cobble together that don't feed into her personality really at all or, or anything like that. It, it It's that extra, that extra bit of artificiality that really robs – what otherwise should be someone calling Leia master hit really hard. Mm. What would sarcastic Jedi training be like from Leia? It would be amazing. Oh yeah, it would I'd be the best. Because I think that'd be safer. Because man, Princess General Leia's tongue, man, no, no, she's scary. <laughs> You're gonna wish you had Yoda back. <laughs> um. Oh. It also, it, it, this is on the Reaper. The fucking Reaper robbed us of, of uh, the whole world of um, uh, of Carrie Fisher three years too early. Uh, and as a result, Ray's story is shortchanged. Ben's story is definitely shortchanged. She's the last person alive who gives a shit about him. And if she's yeah, not even there, but- it's this weird ephemeral phantom connection that they tried their best with, I think. Is, was their best. There were other subtle ways they could have done it, but that maybe would have been a bit too subtle for just general audiences. I don't want to say like, you know, it would be difficult to say why all the other force ghosts talk to you with a voice and have a form that looks exactly the same. Maybe Leia could communicate in a different way with Kylo. So we feel like in spirit, she's there. Even, you know, it's, it's really fucking I, difficult. And I, when they went to the silhouette, I was like, this really is it now. Mm. I think the difficulty is they believed it was their best. Hmm. They thought, well, it's not a CG. It's, it's actually her. This is, we filmed Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Surely that's We haven't gone to Tarkin Town. The fact, that it, the fact that it looks exactly like Carrie Fisher and moves exactly like Carrie Fisher does not lose that uncanny valley feeling that this is not... exactly like Carrie Fisher. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and the trouble is those film, those scenes were filmed with different intent, with different... Yeah. yeah. I believe she was mostly it. talking to her old Han there about mm. Ben. Yeah. So it doesn't, it doesn't match up. Uh, it bugged me. It really mm. bugged me. It bothered me so badly because it just felt so disjointed, not right. And it just felt like... Do you know what I can describe? You, you're saying it was like... They were thinking it was the best thing to do. I'm sat there thinking, this just feels like, oh, that'll do, that'll do. It's close enough, it'll do. It's like, no, this isn't working for me. And you're a fan of The Crow. Yes. Which they yeah. had they had to do their best with that in, in a similar capacity. Um, mm. It's it's obviously an absolutely horrendous state of affairs when you've got to somehow 
service all of these story elements mm-hmm. with someone who's no longer there and at the same time give them a decent send-off that everyone around them can mourn. So I think this was a maybe a simplified version. I was actually, I personally was somewhat impressed relative to how much Tarkin and that uh, creep lair at the end of Rogue One threw me off. Yes. That just was horrendous. And, I, you know, obviously with Tarkin, it was like, just let that actor be Tarkin. But in this case, they can't. They, they could recasting have, would have been unthinkable. They could have CG'd the whole performance. They could have recast. Yeah. Both of those would have been worse options than what yeah. they did. So honestly, I I don't know that I can come up with a better. It's an I think the consensus I'm hearing here is damned if you do and damned if you don't. Yeah, yeah pretty I think much. An yeah, I don't think... Anyway. I don't think any of the filmmakers went in going, you know what? Let's really piss off all the Carrie Fisher. (laughs) (laughs) No, they, like I said, they, I believe they were trying to honor her. It's, Mm. uh, it, it, they, they used what they had. So maybe they used it a bit too much. Maybe a lighter touch would actually honor her. Yeah. Within the the context of the story, they were already going to tell. I think, I think that's more what was going to happen. I think, um, whatever, writing plans were in effect to kind of close the story that was handed off from the last Jedi mm. um, was, well, this is the story we want to tell. Where do we plug in Leia and do a good job? Jesus, plug and, in Leia. Sounds like a Radiohead album. Yes, you can't. You can't just plug in uh, Leia and do a good job because obviously everything else we've spoken about. Because about she's a Leia. great big beating human heart. She's not a machine. I think as well, big parts of this script hinge on Leia, and when your hands are tied as drastically as they were, like I said, I think they were damned if they do and damned yeah. if they didn't. You asked about Chewie's medal. Yeah. I don't think that that... Okay, hang on. Let me, it, let me rephrase this. It was this. Han's medal, wasn't it? Because she was holding I, it. Yeah, it was... It, because I, I was racking my brain, because I've only seen it once. Yeah, I saw so it again So I was racking today. my brain trying to remember who gave it to him, and it was Maz. Yeah. Yes. Which means it's almost certainly either Luke or Han's medal it's Han. that she gave to him. It's not like, yay, Chewie got a medal, finally, yeah. for being a hero. It was a, 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 a deep emotional thing that, as you said several times, the film just didn't have time to focus on. So it was like, Chewie got a medal, yay, and he looks at it and he's all sad, and then we cut to the next thing. I mean, feasibly they could have just gone back to the uh, golden die. D- uh, sorry, the golden dice. Mm-hmm. You know, that, yeah. that was a, a totem at the end of um, uh, Last Jedi, and Luke gives them to her, and they disappear because they're only made of his memory. But she can fish them out of the friggin' Millennium Falcon and use them. She's trying to connect with Ben. They pl- Johnny Williams is playing Han's music at that point because Ben is the result of her and Han. Like that, that, that piece of music, I always equate it with just Han, but it's Han Solo and the Princess from Empire Strikes Back. So she's trying to connect with Han, she's trying to connect with Ben. The dice work better than the medal, and then Mars could give the dice to Chewie. The medal, it being a medal, is like, hey, we gave him a medal. It, was it nice. still made me feel good. And that's what it was. In, its intention was. We're going to try and make you feel good, Poke. But I do agree, thinking about the dice as, as probably a better... Mm moment a better symbolic bearing in mind they weren't totemic until the last jedi so if nothing else that's actually a little nod from jj to go well done ryan that was a nice little moment did he do that at all no oh by the way on a side note i'm not one i'm not one of the people going they ruined 
ruined everything from The Last Jedi. They shat all over it. J.J. Abrams yep. clearly hates Ryan Johnson. I don't think that's the case. If nothing else, if you listen to the commentary, Ryan Johnson had a long, long series of talks with various Star Wars people, including J.J. Abrams, regarding the story beats of The Last Jedi. Exactly. But between things like, like Luke very much still being the person he became at the end of The Last Jedi, mm-hmm. with while still having a little bit of his impish, you know, old man Luke humor, like that the Jedi's weapon should be treated more respectfully. <laughs> I mean that the the fact that you have Jenna and Finn being the legacy of the kid with the broom of the force just awakening in people, whether mm-hmm. they're so and so's force user son or daughter or not. And the the big one is that he really, really tried to follow up on the narrative intent of Ryan Johnson's choice about Ray in that Ryan Johnson's choice about Ray is what's the most difficult thing for her to hear right now is not that she can define herself through someone else, which is what she's been trying to do the whole movie, but you have to define yourself through no one at all. Mm. And JJ Abrams was clearly like, okay, that's really good. What can we do on top of that, that's dramatically interesting and, and brings the character forward through a, an emotional challenge. Oh, you, you've you defined yourself through yourself. What if you came from the worst place possible? Yeah. And again, it's one of those things where they're trying to do three movies worth of stuff in one movie. And so it's really hard to make that land. But they're very much trying to, again, take the legs out from under the character and be about, okay – how do you want to define yourself? Do you define yourself by coming from nothing or coming from the worst place possible or what? And as, as someone who, you know, grapples with the fact that I inherently as a white cishet male come from privilege that I cannot deny a story about someone thinking that they've built themselves up from nothing, then having to reckon with the fact that there is an intrinsic privilege that you cannot deny there, there's not nothing in there. Um, you know, I'm not saying J.J. Abrams tried to make a Star Wars movie about the the fact that white privilege exists, but I don't think he was actively trying to crap on everything. And there's there's a lot here that really does kind of line up, even though it's very, very clumsy and messy. Greg Bashansky uh, did point out to me that it's actually better that Ray was told your bloodline is Palpatine and not your bloodline is Kenobi. My point on Palpatine and the whole big reveal, you, know, you are a Palpatine. And Ray actually, well, actually, he doesn't even say that. Kylo says it to her, doesn't he? He's like, I hate to be the bearer of bad tidings again, but um, Ray redefines herself once again and actively defies and denies Palpatine by going, okay, so I may be of your blood, but screw you. This, that, that is not who I am. That does put it back in the exact same territory as Return of the Jedi, which means it's not moving it forward, but it is at least on point with Star Wars, and it does at least keep her character strong. If she'd been, say, a Kenobi, there's nothing to deny then. You're just... Like, you can't really forge your own path as a Jedi if it's in your blood and everyone's just like, well, hand-wavy, obviously she's doing that. She's a Kenobi. It also allows her and Ben to become two sides of the same coin, both demonstrating that you are not your parents, that you are not your grandparents, that regardless of what heritage and um, DNA 
or whatever it is that's passing the force down in this particular instance has presented you with, it is still what you make of that and what you choose to do with that. Um, and I, I liked the fact that the um, the line from Luke in The Last Jedi about you, you went straight for the dark, you didn't even try to fight it. Mm. But that's the thing, she doesn't... When, when Ray makes contact with anything that could be considered dark side, she's repelled by the idea that she might do bad things with it. It's it's not a there's there's precious little of that um, constant wavering conflict that's in Ben, and so you they're telling two different stories about how you. Uh, you choose to manifest the product of what you are. She's never sought to be the most powerful anything. No, exactly. And she's never sought to destroy anything in particular. There's a brief wavering with, I'm going to destroy the Emperor and this, and then she gets mm. over it. But she's, I think for Ray, she's curious about the Force in itself. And that's why she goes straight for the dark and doesn't even try to fight it, because it doesn't occur to her that it's something that needs to be fought. It's a um, it's a fascination for her rather than, hey, I could use this to dominate all life in the universe. So I have a theory also, she had just this. been taught, you know, about balance, powerful light and powerful dark in that in that earlier moment. Yeah. Mm. Just like, well, if it's balanced, then is is good and bad really different is it really that much of a thing in the force from my point of view the jedi are evil (laughs) i I have a theory about this okay and that's that there is no light and dark side of the force the force is the force is the force and it's the intent with which you use it that is light and dark and i i was something that they were sort of hinting towards in the last jedi but never came out to say i think it was an extrapolation that i made Hmm. Uh, she, when Luke goes, you went straight for the darkness. You didn't even try to fight it. And my thought was, well, what's so bad about darkness? Darkness doesn't mean evil. Darkness means darkness. And the fact that she went straight there without trying to fight it means that she doesn't, she hasn't been indoctrinated with all of the Jedi nonsense. Uh, because remember the, the, the thread running through all of the Star Wars movies is that everything anyone that identifies as a Jedi does is wrong. It's always wrong every time. Every decision is wrong. It's the legacy ben. of the Jedi is failure. And, exactly. And also that the more you fight it, the more it gets you. Yeah. It uses the fact that you're fighting to, to twist things around and seize you. But the thesis of The Last Jedi was not that the Jedi were wholly wrong, but that the way they approached the Force needed to be updated. And I believed, approaching it, that that was the remit of this film. As it turned out, they didn't handle that. Like when she threw out the the Force lightning while uh, trying to hold on to the transport, and Neil said, oh, she used the dark side lightning and we've never seen anyone light side user do that i sort of winced sitting here in my seat because that's just the only reason that we associate that with the dark side is because we only ever saw palpatine use it but he only used it against other people and then we had uh the kotor games which hammered in only dark side people use this 
And yeah. I, I think we need to grow past the, the black and white. And what uh, you have there just... is exactly what I've been waiting for since, well, before The Force Awakens started. I was pushing towards some measure of a new balance. I was expecting it, I was hoping for it, and The Last Jedi corroborated this. The fact that they were basically retelling the original trilogy, but with someone more complex than Darth Vader, and let's face it, someone more complex than Luke. And I think the most key prediction I made in the Patreon-only episode was that they're going to end up with, effectively, something like Force User Hogwarts. And if nothing else, that's because Disney are super pissed still that they didn't get the Harry Potter license. <laughs> and ultimately, that they thrive on going to little kids. Hey, do you want to learn how to use the Force? you got a whole ongoing series about young Force-sensitive kids learning to use it. That's, that's fantastic for bringing in new Star Wars fans. And it baffles the living hell out of me that this film ended basically exactly the same as Return of the Jedi with the one light side user having obliterated everyone dark inadvertently and lost all their teachers as well so we're left with this scion of the light side and that's it that hasn't moved us on one fucking inch and I am really surprised by that I'm not fuming mad I'm just oh because like it it, it felt like you were going to do something with that and what kind of back to where we started whereas like last well, Jedi back to where we ended left, oh yeah and whereas like sort of last jedi leveled the playing field but left pieces intact to pick up from a move on, yeah. uh, and, and move in interesting directions because i kind of think they let the wrong person live at the end of the film hmm. okay so we can talk about that now because we've been talking for uh, nearly an hour and uh, obviously this is stuff we're going to need maximum energy on so we're going to talk about ray and ben and palpatine and by all means just weave in and out of them because when we start talking about one that naturally leads to another but by all means we can bring it back because it's really these three characters that form the core of active participants in this movie everyone else is just a, a you know a rebel going through their own journey or the resistance going through their own journey or faceless nazi maybe on a spaceship it's these three characters who are doing stuff and these three characters who are powering the plot forward. And on occasion, one or one or two of these characters are doing things that actually kind of don't make sense if you look at their motivations. So um, do you guys want to talk about uh, what you expected to happen and, 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 and how you took how it eventually did happen? I just want to say that Palpatine completely surprised me. Because I managed to avoid oh, seriously? all the trailers. Oh, wow. Except for like the very first teaser where I watched it and went, oh, I'm never going to watch another trailer again, so I have to savor this. So the very first thing in the crawl was, the voice of the Emperor has been heard. Oh, you like, weren't playing what? Fortnite that uh, week before. <laughs> and that's apparently where the Emperor did his first fucking broadcast. <laughs> That. Imagine if it was like, oh, you should have had, you had to uh, tune into CBS on uh, one particular night in 1982. That's when the Emperor is going to speak for the first time. <laughs> At last, the work of generations is complete. The great error is corrected. The day of victory is at hand. The day of revenge. The day of the Sith. The great error? 
Sorry, I'm, I'm hearing this transmission for the first time. I'm assuming the great error was, yeah, I kind of trusted Luke Skywalker to attempt to kill me. Took a bath on that one. So uh, my plan is literally the same thing again. I didn't know. And when it was in the crawl and it was like a major plot point, I was just scratching my head. I'm like, wow, they really did. Because The Force Awakens ended and The Last Jedi picked up like minutes or days or weeks later. Yeah. Like there was no time gap. And then clearly some stuff happened off camera. Might have made a <laughs> yeah, good some movie. Some shit happened in between that last Jedi <laughs> and this one. And it just, it, I was not expecting so much out of left field, huh? And then when Palpatine showed up, because I was trying to figure out, okay, who's using, you know, digital Tarkin uh, uh, technology to bring back the Emperor for their own... No, it's actually the Emperor. What? Like, no, I didn't... Uh-uh. Did, did, didn't that guy fall down and go boom? Yeah, there's... Again, like you know how everyone bitched about like how does Mars Kanada have Luke Skywalker's lightsaber in a box? That didn't seem to be all that important to me. I was just like, okay, so there is a journey from dropping out the bottom of Bespin and, and then maybe landing in someone some mechanics uh, workshop, um, and and actually getting to Maz's, uh, uh treasure hoard. There's a story to be told there. It's not absolutely crucial that we know. So it, it just seemed to be like, yo, why, how come Kylo Ren has this helmet? Like, that doesn't really need to be explained. He went to Endor. He was right there on Endor. <laughs> or maybe some junk dealer sold it to him and he was like, I, I hear you've, you've found Vader's helmet. I was but this thing about, about Palpatine got- coming back... That did need maybe not explanation, but like a little bit more setup. That needed something, because that really is out of left field. They've not even mentioned. You know, it's all been about Snoke, Snoke, Snoke. And what do we get in the first ten minutes? Would you like a jar of Snokes? <laughs> oh, we got so many Snokes. <laughs> I mean, that was- I kind of like because it is it is the ultimate sort of like no Snoke didn't matter confirmation. <laughs> like it's it's it, yeah no that guy who cares. You know, no, yeah, you, you want to know where Snoke came from? There, shut up. Uh, <laughs> that, it, was, that was amusing to me. To me, it, it, <laughs> seemed, like, <laughs> it seemed like, uh, oh, so uh, he's actually just this gold lame clothed idiot with a weird face that makes him look like he's trying to take a dump through orifices he doesn't have and a, a stupid name who gloats and thinks he's super important but actually isn't and is being controlled by an evil mastermind. Mm. From the shadows. Mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. My, my money's on failed clones of Palpatine because <laughs> they kind of borrow some of the plot from. Is it? I want to say Dark Empire, but I could be wrong. Yeah, it's Dark Empire. Yes, Dark Empire. I liked um, a theory that Alex came up with regarding that, though, which was that the figure of Palpatine was just like a face, a mask, and that ultimately what sat behind that was the dark side of the Force having taken on some kind of um, uh, individualised aspect. Or maybe that it always was. The The fact that um, the Emperor is always hanging off that apparatus, for a start, makes him look a bit like GLaDOS, but he's just nowhere near as passive-aggressively funny. <laughs> but um, also, like, I, I really like the design that his gown is just hanging down below his little feet, which I assume he's got slippers on under there, because otherwise they get real cold. Um, or well, at least Chewbacca slippers, too, you know it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, like, he's basically, like, being sort of moved around on this apparatus, and he's got this massive auditorium 
delirium of one can only presume clones or like Sith acolytes. It doesn't really matter. They're all just there for his goddamn ego. And Sith ghosts. Yeah, it it really feels like... What I got from that is those are like the specters of the Sith that are inside him sort of manifesting, but not really. Okay. Well, then they're all they've all sacrificed individuality uh, and and it just makes him seem like this boring kind of pathetic old gimmer yeah and and it makes absolute perfect sense that he's just a receptacle for the dark side of the force to just try to acquire more and more power and it's speaking through him and he believes that he's really in control but ultimately he's being just as puppeteered as he's doing the puppeteering also if those are and I I love the idea of those acolytes all effectively being all the Sith who've ever been manifesting as as ghosts as the like the antithesis to the all the jedi who have ever been at the end but that there's a moment where they all turn and look at each other and realize there's just the one cloak and that's why there's only ever one master and one apprentice because they only have one cloak and they've got to pass it down and it never gets washed <laughs> See, Alex, you've just killed me with this whole, like, Emperor's GLaDOS thing, because now I'm picturing the camera following him down the Death Star shaft when he gets thrown over. He's saying, well, how are you doing? Because I'm a potato. <laughs> <laughs> See, I've got the robot chicken in my head where he's falling yeah. down the shaft. Yes. Point break, bitches. <laughs> oh, honestly, I, I, I would actually have appreciated at this point the Emperor to be a bit more catty and a bit more, like, unusual to what we'd if, uh, imagine him to be. But he was actually kind of a caricature of what he'd been before. It was almost boring to see him go, yes, it was always me in the prequels, it was always me in the original trilogy, and guess what? And it's like, okay, right, so I, get, I hope you've got some new stuff. Nope, same things again. No, he's just playing the hits again, <laughs> you know. Okay, strike first me off, down strike and... me down with all of your hatred. No, you don't like that one. Okay, it's the only way to save your friends. Nope, still not biting. Okay, uh, then... Did it... I ever tell you the... Lightning. <laughs> the, 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 the don't mess with the bull, son. You get the horns. <laughs> My lord. Stormtrooper. 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 Stormtrooper. My lord. I do kind of like how his his whole thing with I've I've got to possess my granddaughter gives just a little bit more context to okay, yeah, he was clearly wanting to do that with Luke at the end of Return of the Jedi. That's why he wanted Luke to strike him down. So he could basically pour some Sith in that. Yeah. <laughs> Pour some Sith. That's exactly where my head went to. Can't oh, wait to dear. walk around in this. Would you turn around, son? Oh my god, <laughs> that's unsavory. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, distinctly. Yeah. Also, having a having a a male villain dealing with a female protagonist is a new element to. Uh, to the force anyway <laughs> mainly there, because there have been no other female antagon- uh, protagonists and guess what there was an extra creep level there yeah which yeah. which I guess was the only new thing that we really saw from from Palpatine it was however confusing at the very beginning if when you watch it the second time and you actually know what he wants he said he, he you know Kylo has been looking for him he says you know it was I all along and I can give you everything what do you want from me Kill the girl. Okay. He comes back two days later. Yep, killed her. You 
You what? <laughs> you told me to. I didn't want you to actually kill her. You were supposed to bring her before me. That's the deal. Winky, winky. Did you not see me, winky? No, I'm just. I take everything I very can't literally. See anything through this mask. <laughs> You're like a sphinx. Lightning going off. I can barely see your face, man. Good God. Oh, also, I was too close to the screen at the first Why? viewing, and okay. it was so bright. Okay, uh, this is Palpatine's plan as written by Jenny Nicholson on Twitter. So Palpatine designed Snoke to test Kylo Ren and prepare him for the role as heir to the Sith, but also influenced Snoke's mind to ensure that Kylo Ren would be able to kill him. And he spent years looking for Rey, but he, through Snoke, commanded Kylo Ren multiple times to kill Rey as a test, to call his bluff, but also he needs Rey alive to strengthen himself so when he meets Kylo Ren he tells him again to kill Rey but Kylo Ren defies him but that's okay because in fact he wants Rey to be both alive and to kill him so she can be the heir to the Sith but then Kylo and Rey get there and he drains their life force without having to die and then hurls Kylo Ren to his death and fights Rey. The perfect crime. <laughs> Bear in mind is it though? Designed the Empire to be completely incompetent. Yeah. Yes there is that. I mean and if, if the whole point... quintuple bluff <laughs> if we want to talk about the Emperor's plans not making any sense, mm-hmm. I've got six other movies. <laughs> He's got four. Right, I'm going to fight a war against myself. Nah, I want to get kidnapped. For control of the galaxy that I already kind of had control of. But if you want to get into the weeds about like Palpatine's plan, then mm-hmm. you get into the fact that he made Snoke and specifically designed him so that Kylo's training would culminate in the master killing the master and so, oh, yes, I want to make sure that you are going to betray your master. So you'll betray me just a little bit and bring me Ray because you think you're going to kill me. But in fact, bear in mind, by the way, that Obi-Wan went to Owen Lars. Here's uh, a boy. You must hide him from his father, Anakin Skywalker. What's his name? Luke. Luke Skywalker. Make sure he's called Luke Skywalker and that he lives in this home. <sighs> yeah, I mean, can we I'm saying the Sith are this incompetent, yet the Sith managed to take out the Jedi, so how bad were they? <laughs> Pretty bad. Can we chat a little bit about the um, the Emperor's claims about how he is every Sith and I then the balance between Sith. that and Rey hearing from every Jedi and, and like whether that is supposed to be literal or metaphorical, because it seems like the Emperor treats it as a literal thing. Mm-hmm. So, And if that's the case, everyone who kills him, he becomes, so it's still him mm-hmm. running things. So honestly, if that's the case, no matter how bad he is at planning, and maybe this is just his character, he is an inept, very bad, just luckily powerful Sith, so that every time he dies, he just takes the, the new body or something of whoever kills him, oh and now God, he's still in charge. He's the ultra-human. <laughs> Spoiler <warning. laughs> And exactly what parameters are required to make it work? He's like, strike me down with all of your hatred. But what if she just strikes him down knowing calmly this is definitely the right thing to do? Or, you know, does it have to be a hateful act? Can she just strike him down in a whimsical fashion? Also, like, what does she do at the end? She, like, uses the lightsabers. She goes, I am every Jedi. And then she bounces that stuff back at him, which is... Maybe it only works if he kills himself. Yeah. And then like, he's really gone. He's destroying himself with his own evil, hoisted on my own petard. Who would have or it? is now Ray both every Sith and every Jedi? See, I was thinking... Ah, oh, balance! I was, there you go. I was thinking about this um, in terms of the Matrix. Remember when Agent Smith, like, takes over Neo and then explodes because that balances the equation? 
it's mm-hmm. it's shameful, but the Matrix uh, Revolutions actually makes more sense philosophically than this. We'll talk about Matrix Revolutions at some point, folks. No, no. Yes, headache, yes. Headache. Can I, can I just, <laughs> it exists. Also, one question. Um, did anybody else do the mental maths and work out that Ray's father had to have been conceived at some point oh, yeah. post-face melting? Oh, yeah. <gasps> I am the emperor who fucks. Wait, wait, no, no, no. Palpatine did the whole messing, wasn't it? Palpatine did the whole messing with the Metachlorians to make Anakin, so maybe? Maybe. I'd we can, think we can only hope, yes. <laughs> There are, <laughs> the dark side of the force leads to many pathways that many would seem unnatural. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, right. Proper question about Kylo here. He goes back to the helmet. Now, there's an Occam's razor answer to this one, which is that JJ liked the helmet and Ryan didn't. But um, I started pointing out that this was kind of a backslide on this, but uh, somebody pointed out that, oh, no, no, wait, 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 wait. I think Reba Mac and Cheese, uh, that... Uh, at the end of The Last Jedi, Kylo has now gone beyond Vader. He doesn't want to be Vader anymore. So putting the helmet back on actually doesn't make any sense for him as a character who's just moved forwards and then backslides. Um, your thoughts? I saw an explanation that mm-hmm. made perfect sense, but it doesn't have anything to do with the character motivation. Okay. Disney just doesn't own the rights to Adam Driver's face, so they need him in the helmet. <laughs> Bingo. And that is some shit, by the way. I was looking for a Star Wars mug yesterday, and it was like, do you want a Stormtrooper mug? Mm, not really, they're Nazis. My lord. Go f*** yourself! Do you want a Kylo Ren mug? I mean, yeah, kind of. Uh, uh, what I'd really like is a Ray mug. You cannot have a Ray mug. And it, everywhere you look for Star Wars merch, there's all the stuff with masks. And you know who have a lot of masks? The bad guys. And so all of these awesome heroes, you can't get on your mugs. You can't get on your T-shirts. The amount of Nazi shit on children's clothing is round the bend right now. Because that's cheaper than licensing, say, Adam Driver or uh, Oscar Isaac's face. Well, it's actually kind of funny. I have a Skywalker mug. Mm-hmm. And it is all the heroes. Yeah. But they exist, well, it's, definitely. It's, it's drawn. It, it's it's a cartoon scene's wrong, but it, it's a drawn one. So, yeah. it's, you know, not quite their faces. A lot less of the photos. Again, like I said, they exist. There are some, especially early things. But uh, my guess would be that, uh, like, Daisy Ridley was uh, offered a golden chalice and went, no, I'd still rather not have my face on absolutely everything, even though just Ray being on kids' bedclothes is a good thing because we want her as an aspirational figure, not the faceless stormtroopers who march into villages and execute everyone in there. I want Finn on a t-shirt. I love Finn. Me too. I do have a, a, a and this is again part of the whole, they're, they're just trying to do too much with this thought about Kylo Ren's helmet and it. how it's not quite a walk back from The Last Jedi in that Kylo Ren, Ben, gets a door shut in his face at the end of the last Jedi with mm-hmm. some, you know, from someone with whom he has a very definitive connection and whom he is very obviously emotionally invested in. Yeah. Um, if, if they had had the time to develop this properly, I think it would have been more clearly intimated that the mask is literally him putting on armor to deal with emotionally. The fact that he has to go out and face Ray because at this point, clearly he's like, okay, I'm not going to, actually kill her no i'm i'm going to try and 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 do this yeah and so he literally puts on armor so that he can emotionally cope with that after he's had to kind of shred himself a little bit with han solo and and all this other stuff that he's gone through and 
he he really only works up the nerve to unmask in front of her after they've already had a couple like initial confrontations and they're finally face to face when he has emotionally um, emotional leverage over her. Like yeah. I know something about you that you don't that will make you come to me and take my hand. So that she can't see his weakness. I I by that, Reba McEnchie suggested maybe this would have been a good enough reason for him to make a really big elaborate hat that puts him way beyond and differentiates him uh, from Vader. But again, we need consistency on the brand merchandise. Just one Kylo Ren walking around Disneyland Star Wars place uh, with the standard Kylo Ren look. Is, it makes much more sense than, you know, do you, you want big hat Kylo Ren with the Galactus hat with the, the, the tits? Well, it's or... got Red Go Faster Stripes on <laughs> I was going to say, it does have the... the, the little plane. variation, but I... in, in not enough of a difference so that they can still give you the same basic Kylo Ren model. Well, basically, I just copied the plant we have now. Hmm. Then I added some fins to lower wind resistance, and this racing stripe here I feel is pretty sharp. Agreed. First prize. What?! I will say my reading of it, and I am not even going to attempt to speculate whether this was intentional or not, because ultimately this is my reading of it and it doesn't matter whether it was intentional or not. But it is consistent with his previous, uh, the, the significant things that have happened in his life it, that are all to do with him having the force and people being afraid of him for having the force. The fact that his father struggled to relate to him because he's more like Luke and the fact that his mother sent him away because in his perception he was too powerful and she couldn't cope with it and then Ray drawing away from him because of the path his powers are taking him down he I mean, this is this is a little bit flippant, but the shirt or lack thereof moment is effectively him stripping down too far and exposing himself and being too vulnerable in front of her. And it actually does make a logical kind of sense that his response to her being afraid and pulling back from that would be, okay, let's layer the clothes back up again, including the helmet. Every time he reaches out a gloved hand to her, it's saying, come to the dark side. The one time she reaches out a bare hand to him, he has to take his glove off to touch her fingers, and then Luke comes in and spoils it. But uh, that was effectively him being pulled by the light. So it's it's a very simple, dark clothes equals the dark side, Mm. and being... Naked equals the light side? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> just, just uh, the the human inside rather than the the, the well, sort of black suited monster. Yeah, it's it's in the context of vulnerability and being himself, being um, uh, not unafraid because he is obviously very afraid. But the the fact is that what happened with Luke made him intensely defensive, incredibly self-protective. That's why he's there in the first place. That's why he's in the First Order, because he's thrown up all of this this armour around himself. And for for the helmet to stay off, I think you'd have to... He'd have... For it to feel consistent, he would have had to start behaving in a quote-unquote good way much earlier... Um, rather than having that sort of that partial backslide 
um, and and being kind of I'm I'm going back to the the mask because that's safer. I honestly would have liked to see him meet up with the Knights of Ren, and he's not got the mask, and they're all they've all shut themselves off from humanity. It makes it, it very clear that they're basically just these ring wraiths. And then he's like, right, I need to be able to rub shoulders with them and impress them. And they can't see me bleed. They can't see my weakness. So I'm going to stick the new helmet on. That's effectively what we see anyway. But there's no scene that establishes that as a dramatic arc. Yes. Which... And what's funny is, does, how long does that mask actually last? Not for? many scenes. Not. Enough to sell merchandising. Because yeah. I think he loses it in the tie crash, doesn't he? And that's what, it. Now, what the actual path of it goes, he still has it after the tie crash. Then he puts it on when they communicate telepathically and she smashes his Vader statue. And Which, by the way, he doesn't seem at all pissed about. He should have been like, oh, my collectibles! But uh, <laughs> but instead, he does he doesn't give it a second look. He's totally over Vader. It was just a replica. Yeah. Um, and then he takes it off to confront her uh, and, and you know, give her the big revelation, you're, you're a Palpatine. And then she flies away. And he puts it back on so Palpatine can talk to him for an interstitial one moment. Mm. And then when he meets her on Endor, it's back off. There's no final taking it off moment. But that, again, is symbolic of the conflict within him. He's fear is coming out when he's with Palpatine and in the presence of that dark side energy again when he's around Rey and it begins and that moment when the the Vader statue falls over is he realises she's in my bedroom, she came to me, Mm. that's the kind of, okay maybe this connection is still there so it does stand to reason that after that whenever he sees her he would want to take the helmet off so that he can try and preserve that connection because that's what he's desperate for. The helmet coming off should have happened during the duel on Endor, in the remnants of the Death Star, paralleling, if nothing else, with the death of Vader. You're right about that being the pivot moment, because that's where he uh, he has the encounter with his father, mm. and that, for me, is the point of his, his turnaround. This whole thing about Raylo and people getting up in arms because of the idea that that she's fixing him. I personally think this is not as simple as that trope because his recovery and it is it's not a redemption, it's a recovery and it begins when he gets to relive that moment with his father. It's nothing to do with Ray. She does not rescue him. He makes a choice to start coming back himself. And then all of the the moments of, okay, I have a choice here. I can either do the, the bad destructive thing or I can do something more positive and attempt to save somebody or something. Those are his choices and his moments. He connects with both his parents. Just before Ray stabs him, Leia, who is reaching out to him, catches hold of him and there is a connection there and this is a fairly heavy-handed death and rebirth metaphor right here but although ray helps with the healing process so much of the rest of it is internal however it comes very late in the day for ben this was my biggest beef with the film not that they killed ben but that ben needed to go through a far more pronounced redemptive arc wherein he decided to try to make amends rather than just a pretty much deathbed redemption exactly the same as Vader. There's a little more to that there. Him living and deciding to actually do some good and being riven with 
genuine remorse for his actions would have been a very positive way to move forwards. Because ultimately, if he had remained terrible to the end and just been killed, the message that sends is some people are just evil. You've just got to put them out of their misery. If he had carried on living, it suggests that you can do something about the awful things you've done. Him dying in a very neat, tied up in a bow, like Jack in Titanic, and then that was that. He died for love, and he did one good thing. Isn't that sweet? And then he stood beside Ray, and he fought those guys, and wasn't he sexy when he did it? And and he finally saw the error of his ways, and then he died. And wasn't it neat? That shortchanged what was becoming something of a long, hard road to recovery followed by actually trying to be a good person which is hard to maintain and that is a very sobering mature way of dealing with someone who has done some serious shit in their past some have looked at kylo ren and seen him as nothing more than the symbol of an abuser that he lacks the complexity and nuance to even deserve a redemption and especially those who've lived with abuse i completely understand that I have similar, yeah, no, reactions when it comes to forgiving terrible fathers in movies. Well, he's your father. Yeah, no. And I've seen quite a few people posit that Ray should only concern herself with good, nice people. He is ultimately a very powerful person who has the power to do a lot of good. And that is a significant and timely message to send out there. And it's a new equilibrium, which definitely elaborates on Return of the Jedi. Obviously, I was looking forward to that being the case. I'm not furious that that wasn't the case. I am bewildered that that wasn't the case. You see, this is where I come into the thing where I say, and this is why they killed the wrong one. I would have preferred it, maybe not preferred it, I would have found it more interesting if they'd let Ben live, and then he had to deal with all of the shit that he caused. Mm. And you could have had a Zuko arc there. Mm. It, uh, people have been uh, so, uh, comparing him to Zuko since day one. There just isn't time to, to really do that. You can make it feel more like a Zuko arc, definitely. But if Ray had died, for a start, that's again, like you can't have Ray wandering around. And well, mind you, I was going to say, like, the main reason to keep Ray alive is so that um, little girls have got a hero to just air punch and go, yes, we can succeed. If it's like the end of the path towards being a strong defender of justice woman is death and sacrificing yourself that is a a, a scary message to send uh point. yeah but but again it's, it's the balance side of it if they'd both lived and both gone right do you want to set up a school then yep then that's that's something that's definitely moving forward you can even bury those two lightsabers and they build their own again they don't necessarily have to move those forwards i, I like that idea of burying them but the like there's there's that you're actually looking at Luke and Leia at the end that wonderful visual ending. Like if they'd done nothing else with Carrie, having that there was wonderful, and I absolutely love that moment. But if Ben was there as well with the Falcon, that's everything good coming out of the past and everything just being able to emerge from the shadow and take some of that shadow with you and that mm. idea of incorporating this light and dark within us all. And the difference so I, is how we act upon it. That's Harry Potter. So I think the biggest um, complaint that I've heard about Rise of Skywalker has been that it was too safe in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. and I, I don't have a whole lot of I don't have a lot of answers to it, and I don't really know uh, if if I 
even if I disagree on certain things. And this point, the idea that seeing a, a Ben redemption arc, which, you know, before I saw the movie, I don't, I didn't think he deserved a redemption arc. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, do I like your point about him having to live with those consequences. It takes me back to the Jedi Academy trilogy or, or series of books in, in the old legends canon where there was a character who went dark and went dark hard, but when they tried to get their own simple, like, oh, I want to be good again, but it is too hard to live through it, so I'm going to try to sacrifice myself, like, Luke stopped that in that in that moment and mm-hmm. said, no, you need to you need to live through this and you need to work through and and find the harder path, and it is the better path for you. I would love to see... Oh, I would have loved to see that. And I, oh man, I really feel like we're missing it now because mm-hmm. <laughs> just because I know about it. Or how about we put it like this? Don't consider whether Ben deserves a redemption arc. Consider it in terms of the galaxy deserves his help. There are peoples, there are places who could genuinely benefit from his support. But if he's dead, he's not helping anybody. He's not causing any more harm, but he's also not assisting with any more good. Or, to put it in the words of my absolute favorite wizard of all time, Many that live deserve death, and some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them, Frodo? Do not be too eager to deal on death and judgment. Even the very wise can assume ends. Having said that, in combination with the idea that we're playing it safer in this movie, um, I think I think there's probably plenty of factors that led to playing it safer because obviously endings are hard. We've mentioned this. And JJ... Side um, note, by the way, I'm really good at endings. I don't know if, if you've, uh, any of you guys have read my books. I'm really good at endings. And the one I just mapped out was a good ending but carry on it was it was a good ending and i like that would have been something new for star wars that we hadn't seen yet would well, be put it like this like living the with- legacy of the jedi is failure yeah so what are we going to do next i don't know probably a jedi because we've got this light side user she's well good basically just as good as i was back in 1983 so good luck ray off you go what's the movie that's <laughs> like you either live long enough to oh uh, the dark night dark night <laughs> Yeah, okay, yeah. I mean that's I mean that's Ray's trajectory if we're gonna keep seeing anything with Ray in it, is if we're gonna keep leaning toward the Jedi path. Yeah, but the like counter to that is or you live long enough to see or see yourself become the villain and then maybe get back from that. Because there's a hell of a lot put it like this, guys, there's a hell of a lot of dudes out there who've done some rotten shit and are now looking at their lives on the quiet in those wee hours of the morning when no one else is talking to them through the headset thinking, am I fucking irredeemable? And I think it's quite a powerful message to send, no, you're not irredeemable. There are things you can do to make the world better. That is an incredibly positive message. No matter how far you fall, you can come back. Yes. If anyone's seen Jojo Rabbit, Mm -hmm. that's basically what the entirety of that film is about, is about um, deprogramming someone who has essentially gone full kylo ren it's just that this person is like a 10 year old as opposed to you know 
an adult person. You're not a Nazi, Jojo. You're a ten-year-old kid who likes dressing up in a funny uniform and wants to be part of a club. Exactly. And one of the, you know, I believe it was the great poet of our time, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who said that... <laughs> I was just like you when I was younger. Head full of fantasies of dying like a martyr. Yes, dying is easy, young man. Living is harder. There's so much that I think really works with the the way they handle Ben in that, like Sharon says, it's not Ray because he wants to to kiss the pretty lady that he he makes good guy choices. It's it's very definitively started in the Force Awakens and continued in the Last Jedi. These big choices that Ben Solo makes mm-hmm. are very much in response to his parents. He chooses to to because he's you know he thinks that killing han will stop these light side feelings he chooses to kill han he finds out that he can't kill his mom because he knows that it didn't work last time and when han comes to him again just after his mother touched his mind like that's the thing that really clinches it that's what makes him go no i can't keep doing this i have to try and be better that really works um i also just really like the way that J.J. Abrams took the the force bond that so many people had problems with in The Last Jedi and was like, hey, you know what? We're going to do that even more. It's awesome. We're going to give it a name. It's a dyad. And they just like mention it. It's like, whoa, whoa, you're suddenly a dyad now? Is anyone going to explain that? (laughs) No. Well, it's just like kind of like, why not? Okay, their their minds are bridged. Well, what if they've got force FedEx too? Why not? That'd be cool. And it was actually something that – they really built to very well. You you see his hand get wet in the last mm-hmm. Jedi when he's mind melding with her, and then they just add in just a little bit more with the with the other times they connect with each other. With then there's the necklace, and then there's the helmet, and then finally they just do same day shipping on the last on the last on the lightsaber. <laughs> and like that that stuff works. And then like you said, Alex, there's there's room for him to not just take the quick and easy path to redemption because mm. that really feels like what he did is that was the quick and easy way on the other hand it's like well ray's dead what else are you gonna do well i'm gonna heal her again force healing they've got the rule of three they set it up they show her use it on him and then they twist it with him using it on her but it's oh but she died because of the 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 powers reasons and well, so he has to die to bring her back palpatine just died right there i'm gonna guess there's quite a bit of force energy just kind of knocking around in the room use that has anybody got a lightning cable <laughs> jump cables please it, he died because they wanted him to die i mean we can debate it back and forth and up around the room it's just the easiest way to do it and it it satisfies the shippers i was listening very carefully i heard girls in my audience this second time going Oh, when they kissed. And then when he died, I heard some some girl go, no. Oh, man, I have been living with that. Like my my roommate came to Star Wars fandom with The Force Awakens and they got super invested in Star Wars for the first time ever because of Ray and Ben and all of this. Mm. And they were like hard in the paint, Ben Redemption, but he should live because that's the harder, more interesting route to take. folks, don't get me wrong. I'm not just saying he should have just just lived there and then the film's great. I mean, most of that film should have been about him coming back to the light side. Him just like, he meets the Emperor first off, first scene and goes, oh, for fuck's sake, is this what I've got (laughs) to look forward to? Maybe the dark side's not all it's cracked up to be. You think? (laughs) I can't even get off this thing! (laughs) He doesn't even have all his fingers! There 
was a moment, by the way, where I had a horrible chill down my spine, sweet Lord, don't let them do this, which is when he's bringing her back mm-hmm. and he's positioned his hand oh, God. over her abdomen. And I was don't like, don't rule it out. Jesus, if, if the end result of this is that she's pregnant, I am going to have to cut somebody. Forced himself upon her. <laughs> Gave it a force, baby. Oh, no. Good enough. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but basically, like that, there is no <laughs> absolutely solid written reason they can't handle this. What I'm suggesting a rebalancing in a later film. My question is, why not here? You spent two and a half hours not doing that. <laughs> I, the trouble is, I think they had a lot of good ideas, but never really focused on anyone in particular. Hmm. I really love, like, I absolutely adore Finn because he is this stormtrooper that's you know that's been brainwashed from being a child who yeah. turn against all his programming and later on in this one we find out there's more of them it's heavily implied and pretty much shown that he is he's force sensitive now I'm, I'm curious about what's going on there I want to see a Finn and Poe movie because I just need those two on screen and can I have a kiss please because god damn it <laughs> right Somebody yeah. tweeted, uh, uh, I love this, um, Disney executive punches Oscar Isaac in the face. Say Poe isn't gay! Oscar Isaac spits blood. Fuck you. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's interesting stories. You know, they expand on, on Poe. You know, this character that was meant to die in the first film. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's, in, he's got an interesting backstory. It's like, oh, I would like some more of this. But it feels like we've got lots of interesting characters. But it's like, we do not have time for this. So it's boom, 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 done. I needed like a trilogy, another trilogy, just to sort of flesh these people out because they're interesting characters. Which, by the way, is if like if this is the Ryan's trilogy, please. Mm. (laughs) Honestly, I have been like rewatching and you know watching bits from the Last Jedi. It's just been going up and up in my estimation. Uh, But I'm so looking for like my favorite moments in Star Wars are when you've seen the first movie. And the whole universe then expands out from there, like this giant Star Destroyer triangle just sort of expanding outwards. And it could go anywhere. So when I saw The uh, Last Jedi, that was kind of a bringing it back in again and going, nope, it's going here. So it was almost disappointing to see that the movies were, in fact, going somewhere, (laughs) as opposed to constantly expanding outwards. And obviously it's better that, you know, in retrospect, The Last Jedi told a really fantastic story. And then this one just sort of snips it off in a kind of, and that was the uh, Skywalker saga. in the box. And the Palpatine (laughs) saga. And I do, by the way, I love the fact that Rey chooses the name Skywalker. And I love the fact that what they appear to be hammering home is, this is the family she has chosen. She has earned the right to call herself Skywalker, and it's not about blood. And Luke even says to her, some things are more important than blood, more powerful than that, which aids her in defying Palpatine. That's a great message to send. And that, especially to people who are really fucking crestfallen that she was raped from nowhere with nobody parents. Uh, And then it's like, nope, you're actually a Palpatine. Like, you still have that to be able to hold on to, especially if you're like a foster kid or something and that really means something to you. I am intensely frustrated at the people who were angered by the concept that Rey came from nowhere and was not the offspring of somebody magical. Anakin Skywalker literally winked into existence out of nothing. Lineage fetishism. It's very Wars of the Roses. I'm really glad that that her... Game of Thrones. Her whole thing culminated in yes you have special blood but no it doesn't matter yeah like it was just a subversion of the special blood 
uh, thing. Yeah. And as I and said, that they... made me. I was re- I was really frustrated that she wasn't Ray from nowhere hmm. until the end. Yeah. I was like, oh, they had to. Uh, 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 and then it was like, oh, Ray Skywalker, and I went, yes. But but specifically, yeah. it's the the lineage is not important to her. The lineage is important to other people. Bad dudes. <laughs> lineage fetishists are bad, bad dudes. C two B five is a bad dude. He's like R two D two, but he's not white and blue. He's black. Because he's evil. This ain't your mama's R2-D2. Krennic is a bad dude. Mon Mothma is a bad lady. Bad in the sense that she's really cool. I'm honestly shocked that I don't hate this movie because the biggest choice that it made was like the one choice I was like, you better not do that. You don't don't do that. Don't do that. And the movie was like, I just did that. And then it, and then beyond all reason, by the like, like you said, by the time she says no, I'm Ray Skywalker, I'm like, oh, fuck, you actually earned. It. Oh wow, oh nice. damn, <laughs> like you were in a very clumsy, ham-handed sort of roundabout. Like this really should have. I mean, you're not, you didn't do it as good as Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, but you still did the mm. well. What's so bad about being like everyone else? Sort of way. It's like, damn that, I, and and especially when they. They do the whole like it's not a navy, sir. It's just people. I'm like, damn, that actually that actually kind of worked. Crap, because yeah. <laughs> it would be so much cleaner if I could just like really, really loathe the decision. But I've sort of lived through the 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 season of 1999 and fast forward where new Star Wars comes out. People like it. People hate it. People come to terms with it. Sort of, kind of, maybe in like the space of a week and a half <laughs> because I. There's so much of this that I should really be bothered by, and I just can't bring myself to hate all of it. Mm. And so I've just kind of landed on the, well, I'm just going to appreciate it because no matter how invested I am in this aspect, this is going to be someone's first and or favorite Star Wars movie. Mm. And I guess there are worse things than that. Okay, so Kelly Marie Tran as Rose Tico. I want to slap someone. Okay. Because I'm sure I'm sure it wasn't intentional because yeah, I mean, like like we've said from all intents and purposes, Abrams and Johnson worked closely together in either reading scripts capacity and Abrams was an executive producer on The Last Jedi, but it really feels like someone should have said just make sure we don't make this big marquee character from the last movie that very publicly got a lot of backlash feel like an afterthought someone should have thought of that right like was it a was it the studio or somebody playing a safe game like oh i guess we don't want too much hounding from these crazy racist fans or like what was it what happened somebody (laughs) okay for me one of the reasons why this was the other thing that frustrated the shit out of me, along with the layer stuff, um, is that I could I could go with they just didn't have a way to fit Rose and her arc and her character into this 
slightly muddled script that they had to piece together after they lost Trevorrow. Um, I, I could go with all of that except for one scene, and it's the scene where she meets Finn and he claps her on the shoulder and walks away. That's deliberate. Somebody has made that choice. That could so easily have been a hug. Yeah. Like, Especially we when it's, do you, do you want to come on an adventure? No, nah, I don't want to come on an adventure. Okay, bye. She ends up being part of the Greek chorus. We keep going back to the rebel base and she's part of the people saying, and what's happening now? Mm. She got a minute and 16 seconds of screen time, folks. Yeah, they could they, have they given her all of Dominic Monaghan's the- lines. He's got more space in the uh, visual dictionary. Except for that one where he's like, let's do that Holdo thing. That, mm-hmm. I couldn't see Rose doing that. But the rest was totally unnecessary to have a new character. It still well, would have a, been just two and a half minutes. There's a True. space slug that's doing repairs on the Falcon during the thing. Why is it an alien and not, I don't know. Rose. A mechanic. That happened to be the exact same space slug that was superimposed over Rose from the original early posters she was in. They were like, nah, stick this gleep glop in there. That that's very intentional to remove Rose and remind Yeesh. people of aliens that they're just like, Hey, fun, Star Wars aliens, don't complain about this one. there's there's some bad Bad juju going okay. on there because it ain't I, good. I have just thought of this and I got a question and I'm sorry. Uh, do you, you folks know if China like Vietnam or not? Oh, they don't. Okay, yeah. Helen Marie Tran is Vietnamese. There you go. Yeah. And uh, again. Not at all saying case closed, but the studio are allowing us to play guessing games with this one. I mean, that might be part of it. Like, China has been historically kind of met on Star Wars for a few years, so they, they just don't really care. But again, this goes back to me going, why is this only two hours and 22 minutes long? Avengers Endgame made more than Avatar. That's three hours long. Yeah. Why did they just not go, eh, you can do a... And Disney's done this before, Pirates of the Caribbean 3, two hours and 50 minutes long. Boy, do you it's feel not it. like, and And you do, but they still did it, and it's not like they suffered financially all that much, because that still made almost a billion dollars. So, like, why are they not... It just it's an important really enough odd. film that they could warrant it and say, this one's three hours, okay? Deal with it. And it would oh, make yeah, you as much as Endgame. How about a simple app? She goes off on a different adventure for a different reason than you either got a movie, a book, or a comic series in the wings waiting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, she could have had her own mission. With Leia! Exactly. <laughs> yes! <laughs> then you've got a, at least then you've either got a book or a comic book that you're leaving money on the table, which is something that Disney don't normally do. I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't, as it was written, there wasn't room for Rose in this story. I think, I, I think I agree with that idea. But the, the thing that is really missing for me is I want to know what the social consequences were for her last interaction with Finn at the end of Last Jedi. I want to know what happened after that kiss. I want to know if there was a conversation. I want to know, you know, like where, where that went. I'm not saying give me a relationship for those two, darn it, or anything. I'm just saying, like, I want to know. Oh, we know Finn only has eyes for Poe. We know. I mean, like, that's very fun. And, like, maybe maybe that's another reason they left Rose out is because they didn't want to make a claim one way or another on Finn. Because if you had claimed that Finn might be into Rose instead, then you're kind of shutting down an audience. Now, granted, that's ignoring that there, you know, that there is like a bi audience out there. If that's the case, it's a very binary idea if we're shutting it down because everybody's going to be like well i don't know they could be he could be by but i just i want to know i want to know what the what the fallout of that moment was hmm. 
they it's also introduced literally we, we, you said she went through so much hell that she did not deserve you should have just just said, look i know i know you got some shit uh we're really sorry about that we couldn't help but you know we're going to give you something a bit meatier in the next one maybe just a moment where she does something fucking fantastic and it's like okay guys we know that you hounded her off twitter it doesn't matter she's still our rose mm. but she i can't remember really a thing she did that was particularly significant even I Zori mean, got see- that awesome moment where she got to sort of fly in on the Y-Wing and blow out that gun. There's another a couple of uh, um, ladies added to the mix to give us... On the one hand, it's very positive because it gives us female characters who are very different from each other and different from the, those around them. And they kind of get to ha- have a thing going on. And they also just happen to be paired up with our two... With our, like, you know, main... Uh, storm pilot ship just to kind of sort of separate them out in a kind of just so you know these guys definitely aren't i mean i I could be wrong it still allows like they are hugging like crazy at the end with ray in the middle there and it's like eiffel tower but uh (laughs) (laughs) sorry that's terrible i i I just mean that they all love each other a lot a lot a lot in my head um But well, it's, either it's, way, you could interpret that Zori is there to make sure that Poe goes the straight and narrow way, and you could very... like It's sad if you interpret that Janna is there just to make sure that Poe... Especially to make sure that Finn has someone acceptable to be with. I can't even say the words. Oh, oh. But doesn't she... Or isn't it hindered that she goes off with Lando? Uh, I don't. I think that was more sort of a, a grandpa and granddaughter thing. But uh, she seems to. to, hey, to Billy like D. Williams, that that man is hmm. smooth. Well, okay, right. Lando is charmed, but, but she definitely has yeah. a really great scene with Finn, and they share the whole storm uh, ex stormtrooper bond, which on some levels deepens the whole idea that stormtroopers can just decide to stop doing this shit, especially if they feel the touch of the force. But again, it complicates it with the amount of stormtroopers who just get merrily shot throughout this trilogy. If they break their programming, they can always stop being stormtroopers. But of course, it's very, very difficult to break programming if you're a kidnapped child soldier. Yeah, the the thing about the fact that they're sort of paired up, they they are. But then I I really like at the end that they're you know, they're also very deliberately moved in a different direction. Like Zori, straight up like. You know, does the whole thing like, hey, not of recognition. And then Poe very clearly is like, do, do I kiss you? And she's like, no. Nah. It's like, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> that's, that's and, and so, like, I've, I've seen, like, the internet react to, you know, like you were saying earlier, the Oscar Isaac spitting blood, you know, Disney. Okay, so here's Zori. She was Poe's girlfriend. The internet. Zori's gay. Disney. Stop that! (laughs) (laughs) Or or, the the way that scene played out in my head is Poe runs past Zori like she's Pamela Wells at the end of Teen Wolf and launches himself (laughs) at Finn. Is Finn boofed? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay. Uh, But, I mean, at the same time, it does also mean that they weren't making prizes out of these women for our heroes. They weren't like, and then he got the girl, and then he got the girl, and then Rose, you didn't get anyone. And you get a girl, and you get a girl, and you get a girl. So, yeah, like, again, we're moving on a little bit. And then there was that, 
like what I referred to as the gay kiss, which is Disney persisting with its faux progressive stance that background characters of the same gender, which few people know the names of, can have a kiss to show that gay people exist, but nothing more and nothing linked to drama or character development. They may also dance in a non-romantic fashion or non-sexual fashion, and they may also hold hands, but they can't be named characters. Maybe LeFou can have a little bit you of mean a dance. the scene, that, the bit that they cut for China? The place in question is, in fact, Singapore. And again, I honestly expect this for a good fucking decade from Disney. Just going, oh, look how progressive we are. These characters are probably gay a little bit in the, the background. Is, Moving on. Rolling it. The, yeah. There is a, a certain mentality that says, but we're a child-friendly film. How else do you expect us to show that characters are not straight if it's not in some way related to sex. Oh, I don't know. How about having them have an argument about who's cooking dinner later or something? Relationships aren't just about sex. No! There's 24 hours in a day. You can't be doing it all the time. Do you see how I'm not saying anything flippant here? I think I'm (laughs) going. Okay. I have a a thought that there's so much about J.J. Abrams wrapped up in the final shot of Ray at the end of Force Awakens and Poe talking to Leia in this movie in that Ray passing on the lightsaber to Luke is very clearly J.J. going, oh, my God, I got this thing restarted. It was impossible. I should, never should have tried to do this. This is so much bigger. than Someone take this from me. Someone, t- for the love of God, someone <laughs> take this from me. And then he's. He's brought back in the third one, and he's there. He's Poe. He's going, how the fuck do you do this? I don't know what to do, Leia. How do you do this? And that that kind of harks back to, because did anybody else feel like this was borrowing liberally from Return of the King? Um, mm-hmm. it, like there's there's beats in this that are pure Lord of the Rings, and uh, I think you said Alex about the uh, this is this is basically Peter Jackson not wanting to do the Hobbit. JJ like no, please anybody just give it to someone else. Mm. <laughs> not me, not me. Oh, okay, it's got to be me. I it? was racking my brains for who would have been more appropriate for it. Um, has anyone got any suggestions who for who they would have preferred to see? direct this they should have given it to joe john favreau Favreau. okay i'd say joe cornish but they they would have had to have gotten him like back in 2015 Mm. they the biggest mistake that this movie series ever made was deciding in the middle of summer 2015 that they needed to win a bidding war for colin trevorrow after he had the highest opening movie Mm. for a minute and a half because that's clearly what happened really worked Well, what what clearly happened is that Jurassic World hit huge and everyone wanted Trevorrow for their next project. And Disney was a little bit worried because they were just about to launch Star Wars. They didn't know if it was going to work. They had Avengers, but Joss Whedon was leaving and they didn't know that the Russo brothers were going to just nail it time after time after time after time. They were losing a lot of of creative forces. And exactly. And and they didn't know what to do. So they're like, hey, what sure bet can we make? Oh, this guy just had the biggest opening movie of all time. Brad Bird vouches for him. Sure, let's go with him. Oh, wait, he's not that good. But it took them two years to figure that out, and they had the least amount of time to work on this movie. Yeah. And that's like that's the biggest problem. And, and that's 
like if you want to go Occam's razor, that's the problem. Not so much J.J. Abrams versus Ryan Johnson and who agreed with what. They just didn't have the time to mm. do this the way they took so much time with The Force Awakens and so much – because Johnson started The Last Jedi before Force Awakens was done filming. Yeah. Like yeah. He, he went off the script they were using and that was it. And he Can really... I change my vote? Can I say Deborah Chow instead, actually? <laughs> Ooh, I like that. Uh, honestly, I, I wouldn't want to necessarily switch out Abrams, but I would definitely want to pay attention to that writing team. That, that, you know, get Abrams on script detail and get the guy who wrote fucking Justice League. Oof. Right, Chris Terrier, like we talked about Palpatine's mental plan. Look at... Lex Luthor's in Batman v Superman. Like, you, you, like, Honest Trailers actually had a big long list of actually what everything needed to happen to make that plan work, which, by the way, they also did uh, for Civil War, so, you know, fair's fair. But, um, <laughs> honestly, I, I don't know why Kasdan wasn't, was, was not on this when he was writing solo. Like, it was, it was Lawrence and Jake Kasdan. Yeah. So, I, 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 I not. It's baffling. I, I, I don't know why um, they, they could have got Michael Arndt back. I don't know what the hell he, he was uh, doing, but he made a definite um, impression on the original Force Awakens. And it has been established that J.J. is not the best scriptwriter. Has anyone ever read his Superman flyby uh, script? It's not great. And he, he, he kind of struggles to stick landings as yeah. well. Yeah. He also... Yeah, whoever whoever they were going to get, they needed to get them on way earlier. Yeah. And it needed to be, like, really carefully thought of. And like I said, at the very beginning, I struggled to find the metatextuality in this film. Like, the, the first film was all about the, the, the love of Star Wars. It was Star Wars wrapped in Star Wars. The second film was about, um, like, d- defying expectations and, and actually confounding what we wanted to give us something that more that we need as a lesson and, and to give us perspective on the Force and on how we think the Star Wars universe should go. And it's it's a harsh lesson sometimes to watch. But it has... Uh, it doesn't even have Empire's sort of downbeat but hopeful ending. Like it, it does, but that is a triumph at the end when Luke goes out. It is, I, I've seen people still saying, I'm, I'm really pissed that Luke died there. He'd have died here uh, doing something else. Like it, mm. This was a goodbye. Mm. And that... Mark Hamill's performance in The Last Jedi is amazing i never expected when i first started watching the new trilogy that hamill would give a performance that fantastic because the closest he ever came was some elements of uh return of the jedi where he got really dark and deep and introspective but he is so much more than that in the last jedi that meaty character he has to work with it's amazing. And the fact that Carrie never got to get into that for, for, for Leia is, again, a horrendous shame. Nobody's fault but the Reapers. I know Carrie had not spent uh, – had spent a long time between acting roles before she shot Force Awakens. I remember mm-hmm. something about during Force Awakens production, they had uh, – they got an extra day. It was like they had done the Carrie and ha- – I'm sorry, the Leia Han scenes – um, in one day, and Carrie had just really felt like she needed another go at it um, to come back in. So I feel like if we hadn't lost her, you know, her time on Force Awakens and then Last Jedi could could have ramped up to something incredible. Yeah, for this film. Yeah. Ugh. 
And also, like, not wanting to leave him out, it was wonderful to see Harrison Ford back, even for this one moment. It was, it made that, frankly, quite frightening to watch moment when Han is killed by his own son in The Force Awakens. It made it whole. It, it took us on that journey and it brought Ben back to the worst fucking mistake he had made. And if you think back to the way Ford performed in uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, to see him just brought back and effectively just drop into the same shoes of the same character and try to do the same thing again with the mileage of these years, uh, it, it, it would have felt unnatural relative to the crumpled end of his rope solo that we actually got in Force Awakens. And I, I honestly love his performance. It's, it's I, wonderful. It was I worth keeping him alive from Return of the Jedi to this. Continue, sorry. Easily. Um, easily and and furthermore i would i would say that him coming back on and and it is very much a you know trying to harken back to things however this is again jj doing something that really sticks dramatically because that moment definitely does not only make him living through return of the jedi worth it it strengthens the force awakens because it clearly says that yes this this thing that kylo did very definitively changed him emotionally and it wasn't just you you clearly show han solo didn't die for nothing Mm. i mean you you definitely don't want that you know you don't want anyone to die for nothing but you definitely like that's how it feels in the force awakens is that he died for nothing Mm. and that's why it sucks so bad and this is like no no he really did start him on a path and so when when he calls him dad when Ben Solo says dad for the first time and he can't finish his sentence and, and Harrison Ford just delivers that final, I know. Mm-hmm. God damn, that, that works. That works. I'm sorry, that cooks. Like, that is, this, that is Abrams really nailing it. This film um, is an example of excellence in, in mapping. Uh, we were seeing it, that, that scene basically beat for beat they redid it from last jedi or from force awakens and it felt so right i've seen it twice um i wept through the scene both times i watched the film and it just i I can't i can't say enough how how incredibly good that choice was but overall the whole film felt like um and we've said it in a couple of different ways today it just felt like remapping both the original trilogy and uh return of the jedi in in so many different ways so many echoes and beats i think it did it marvelously and it was never uh subterfuge the 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 railing against the force awakens this is just star wars it's not like jj abrams tripped and accidentally we did star wars it was clearly (laughs) intentionally star wars empire jedi uh, from the get-go and, and to the, to a degree it's like okay that that lacks originality but each one elaborates on the original and gives us more which is again why it's such a freaking disappointment that they didn't actually give ray more than just i'm luke at the end of jedi here this time you know she was differentiated from luke to begin with and then in the continuation but by the end they brought her back to the person she then became an analog of. But hopefully, fingers crossed, now that we've retrodden this trilogy, we've got 
more and different stories that won't follow the same patterns. I say that Disney are currently at least a year or so into their commercial age. And I feel like their time for taking risks was a few years ago. And they are actually more likely to take fewer risks in their bid to appease as many people as possible. And it might be just a case of if Black Panther 2, for example, is amazing, then that really comes down to an amazing production team just digging their heels in and pushing for what they want to make. I may yeah, be wrong in or misremembering this, but I think the only thing that's still on the slate Star Wars-wise is Ian Johnson's trilogy. Yeah. Well, thank with, Christ they got rid of those Game of Thrones guys. Thank Christ! You're talking about white privilege. With, um, isn't Feige meant to be producing one as well? So can hmm. we put those two guys together? Might be an idea. So of the five Star Wars movies that have been released since Disney acquired the license, my two favourites, The Force Awakens, written with confidence by Lawrence Kasdan and Michael Arndt, with Abrams assisting, then directed with due time and confidence by Abrams, and The Last Jedi, written and directed powerfully by Ryan Johnson. The three I liked less were Rogue One, wherein they yanked Gareth Edwards off direction and conducted reshoots with Tony Gilroy, who also wrote the film with Golden Compass writer-director Chris Weitz. Solo began shooting with two of my favourite directors of all time, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, with a script written by Lawrence and Jake Kasdan. Then the two directors got yanked off and replaced by Ron Howard, who was obligated to reshoot large portions of what the previous pair had done. And once again, they were up against the clock, and the release date mattered more than the final film. And for what? It came out in May 2018, just months after The Last Jedi. We could have waited, they could have taken the time to make it a wonderful film. And as we've just said, Rise of Skywalker, writer-director Colin Trevorrow yanked off and switched for J.J. Abrams, assisted by Chris Terrio, all three men not known for their amazing screenplays. And time was rapidly running out, so they had to rush it. This means that I love 40% of the Disney output since 2015, the 40% that was carefully crafted with the luxury of time allowed, and I'm disappointed with the 60% that was rushed. Now, of course, your mileage is going to vary, and I'll be revealing my secret for how we can all get some perspective on Star Wars in just a bit. Now, this may not be many people's cup of tea, but my perfect combination would be J.J. Abrams directing Episode Nine. Ryan Johnson writing episode 9 and Disney kicking back and extending that deadline if they have to they can afford it if you want to look at a a possible the, the same way what you were talking about The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi are about Alex is I, I would argue that the closest this movie gets the is yeah, the meta is, is again Abrams trying to reckon with how how we deal with inheriting legacies and you just come up with look if you're if you're out of time and you have to make a call then just the best you can do <laughs> is just trust that there's that there's people who will have your back and so you know again JJ Abrams the filmmaker he brings back um uh snap he brings in you know his buddies who like he likes making movies with he brings in his production team and he's like you know what we're just going to hope that there's enough of us making this that sort of know what we're doing and just try and make it 
as emotionally resonant and fun as possible and just trust that there are more of us who can bring this in and maybe it works and maybe it doesn't. So what you're saying there is it's not a production team, sir. It's just people. (laughs) It's just people. So I'm envisioning a scenario where uh, Abrams gets Chris Terrier in his office and and opens the first page of the script and says, during our title sequence, uh, just after the crawl, Kylo walks past a homeless guy who has a sign that says, I tried. I tried. (laughs) Little on the nose, don't you think? No, it'll really work. <laughs> okay, uh, we haven't really talked about the voices of the Jedi, one of my favorite moments. And I think this was like a little Easter egg for everyone who's stuck with Star Wars uh, for this long. It's e- it even had little surprises and little uh, moments for people who have stuck with Clone Wars for ages Ahsoka. or love the prequels. Yeah, we got Ahsoka, we got Kanan Jarrus. Uh, it, was, it was a large amount of we got. And one of the best things is it was just voices. They could have just have started really flashing us with, with Tarkin Town versions of a lot of these several now 20 years older uh, and a couple now dead people. I think if nothing else... A couple they, who've only ever been CG. Yeah. Uh, if, if nothing else, it, it probably would have felt a bit overly flashy. There's something really elemental about it just being stars and voices. I love that. And if you want to get meta... The first thing we ever saw of Star Wars was stars and words. And we never asked ourselves who were the voices behind those opening crawls. It's also a way of delineating the way that the the Sith live in and carry on versus the way the Jedi do. And that one is, is far more oppressive and forceful a present, presence and the other is, is an emotional and mental recognition and passing down of things Mm. okay so let's hear from our listeners Uh, what we have here is four pages of your twitter responses i had to ask for this twice and specify only good things knowing that we'd be addressing the bad ourselves already you did not disappoint when it came to this list this was fantastic so um if everyone could pull this one up I will start uh, with uh, Maxwell. Maxwell liked a particular scene with a certain OG character. By the way, we had to go with no spoilers here, so there's a little bit of interpretation is required from us, I think. A certain OG character doing something another OG character did with the same music and motions. You know exactly what I mean. I think it's Luke raising the X-Wing up. Yes, love that bit too. I smiled despite how much of a throwback it was. It just showed how far this character had come, and I appreciated that. Movie and Emil, that epic lightsaber battle between Rey and Ren on the wreckage of the Death Star 2 is just perfection. I have to say, that is close to overtaking The Last Jedi battle for me. It reminded I me a little of the really, really Anakin v Obi Wan one, but it was really? a lot more. I really invest in these two. The the emotional force behind it, no pun intended. Well, it, back in the uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith, the element in question was fire. It was all coming from Anakin. It was all his anger. This element was water. It's all coming from Rey. Yeah. Reese, uh, the dynamic between Rey, Poe, and Finn is the strongest it's ever been. And I would have loved just one more film watching them adventure through the galaxy together. Oh, 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 also, that one moment in the third act where Blank passes Blank a weapon to help them in battle using Blank was triumphant. Agreed. 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 <laughs> Force FedEx. I'm going to use I'm going to use that term. Thank you for introducing to me the term Force FedEx. Andrew, nice that the whole battle of Endor caused a climate catastrophe that killed those lovely murderous Muppets 
theory has been put to bed. Yes, there needed to be more Ewoks in this, but mm. I do like the implication that one of the Ewoks pulled off a Holdo maneuver because those guys crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they celebrate the death of their enemies quite a lot. Catherine says, The Kiss. I cheered at it after the hell I and my friends have experienced at this fandom's hands just for shipping those two, some as far back as The Force Awakens. Regardless of anything else, we have that kiss, and no one can take that from me. Okay, so, uh, Neil, you are reading from uh, Lee. I'm actually quite happy I get this one, because I can say, Boba Frick, the little guy who hacked C-3PO. Woohoo! He was fun. <laughs> I like that That guy. was great! Oh, he was stationed. Okay, I'm next, so that's uh, Michael. I loved how much fun Billy D. Williams was clearly having as Lando every second that he was on screen. I liked Redacted showing up to save Ray at the end. Uh, So did we. Uh, It maybe wasn't entirely earned for that character. No, it wasn't. That's my big problem with the film. But the performance felt right and earned. And I liked Dio a lot more than I expected. I hated the design from the first trailer, but then that sad little droid melted my heart. Somebody interpreted um, Ray's line of, he's been hurt, as this is proof that J.J. Abrams considers that Star Wars was hurt by Ryan Johnson. No, it's proof that Ray is compassionate, even for droids. Sharon, uh, oh, this is Paul Shutton. Paul, does the fact that I have a massive grin on my face the whole way through count? Yes, it, it counts, counts, Paul. <laughs> Ernesto, everything Kylo, the ideas related to Leia that they obviously couldn't explore, the um, voices? Yep, we know what you mean. This is from Brett. Adam Driver's Kylo Ren performance was really strong. It doesn't quite perfectly flow through from what happened in TLJ, but it's one of the best parts of that movie. I'm getting um, a lot once of this. Again, yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, Adam Driver, very good. And and again, I I would say that there's a lot more of of continuation here than people give it credit for. But yeah, he even when the script isn't doing the the carrying, he's doing a lot of heavy lifting with that. Mm-hmm. Sean the first says, I liked that after a lifetime of being a fan of the franchise, that my kid and I were able to share the end of the saga together, and that we both cried at the end. It was a lovely culmination of growth, both in the characters, the universe, and our relationship. That was lovely. Aww. And again, that's right? what I kept hearing a lot of, and uh, the the idea that people are angry at kids for liking it. Dude, this, again, core audience. We need Space the young Space Wizard movie. Let it go, it's for kids. But that's the thing, like, Space Wizard movie undersells how much of an important... Like, we we double our figures every time when we have a Star Wars. Star Wars means something. It is mythology. It is a religion to certain people. So it undercuts that by saying it's just about Space Wizards. But when you get really angry about it, it is very important to undercut that it is about Space Wizards and that that doesn't mean you shouldn't care. It does, however, mean you shouldn't be an asshole about it. Sean the Second, love that it alluded back to a goal set by Annie and Palpy. Uh, Annie and Palpy uh, in episode three. They sound like glove puppets. (laughs) 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 Then to The Force Awakens, I will finish what you started. Then Ben ultimately performs the act in The Rise of Skywalker. Mm -hmm. Love that one can watch Luke, Rey in The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi with a new lens after knowing certain facts that were relevant in The Rise of Skywalker. Loving motion, visceral feel of the lightsaber fights. No dancing in this one. Professor Leon agrees. Yeah. 
Professor Leon specifically said that he really liked the fact that it didn't feel like a dance. These were raw, emotionally driven oh. fights. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. No, that that's something this this franchise has got right with its lightsaber fights, as opposed to say when we talk about the prequel trilogy, where I think it's quite lavish and flourished, whereas these do feel like fights. Yeah, by and large as well, it, it's just been Ray. It's just been Daisy and uh, Adam, just like getting used to each other in, with their moves. It's just these two going at each other with the same lightsaber. I think a lot of that comes down to the raw enthusiasm that Daisy Ridley puts into her. To everything that she does in this honestly movie. she is my favorite star wars character her and luke kind of just like neck and neck love them eric i like the decision made by a character that some feel was undermined by a prior movie last words of the movie so the decision from ray's uh, perspective that she chooses the name skywalker jesse says i really liked how they paid off the connection between redacted and redacted <laughs> Totally. Oh, Lando and Chewie? Totally. I was good. No, that's Zori and Poe. Chris the First. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I love the scene that took place simultaneously on a ship and on a planet a lot. Basically, anything with force projection in this movie. And the core cast is all phenomenal. I remember feeling extra tense when Ray was up on the ship fighting Kylo, like, hoping that he wouldn't catch anything because like they needed the time man i was so caught up i was so caught up in this film just <laughs> just oh just enjoying myself thoroughly and the first time the second time is the one i went in with my analytical brain but the first time i went in it was all about like catching all the feelings and just writing this thing out <laughs> oh they did a good job brendan chris the second genuine palpable enthusiasm on screen is possibly my favorite thing to see in any movie yeah, it, it helps when the actors are, like, excited about what they're doing. Chris Third, again, chronologically or hierarchically, uh, just said, in quotes, be with me. Yeah. Oh, loved it. Oh. That, that was at the beginning and the end when uh, Ray is floating with those rocks as though to say, look, she can do rocks, okay? She's She's been learning about the whole rocks things, and we saw that she could do it before. But yeah, she says that and fails, and at the end she says that, and they emerge. And yeah, wonderful sequence. In, in echoing Luke's pose in The Last Jedi when she's doing that, by the way. Mm. And she still did a cool flippy flip on her way down from yeah, that pose. Yeah, she does some awesome, like, very light superhero landings in this film. Like, when, especially when she's I, in that duel. One of the things that I really enjoyed was a little bit later on, she does a saber throw. And I was so happy I got to see yeah. a saber throw in the films. That was the first, I think, yeah. yeah. Uh, they go a little bit ham with the force powers on this. I, I like that they're saying, yeah, these guys are just really strong. So McLean said that sweet, sweet fan family dynamic been and post not it was shot really well dave jj always nails performances right back to super eight when he had to do it with children super eight by the way we loved years before everyone started getting suddenly into it and stranger things so we're gonna do a super eight the prototype uh for bringing forward that mm. 80s dynamic uh, i love that film uh, i enjoyed everything raylo says dave and set pieces all had momentum particularly the opening hunt by Kylo. Jameis, the handoff at the end, it was set up for them to clash, but they turn it to their advantage. The Force FedEx. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would be Alex Eading. Uh, Natalia said, the wonderful utilization of the wonderful Ray's theme 
leitmotif, and use of practical effects and sets, making the universe feel tangible and grounded. I do have to say I heartily agree that anytime you can go practical oh, yeah. in today's in today's film world, you're going to end up with something amazing. Like Babu Frick, I think was Wait. completely animatronic. Incredible. Hi, Babu. Like, Babu was so great. Mm. Sam uh, has, I love seeing Ray, Poe, and Finn together, getting into scrapes, having adventures, hadn't considered how little time the three of them had spent together. Indeed. Like, uh, Ray only meets Poe at the very end of The Last Jedi. I did like that bit where he, they were like, he was angry at her about what happened. Like, she was angry at him about what happened to the Falcon, and he was like, oh, mm-hmm. you're so difficult. Ah! It was, uh, that was a fun little bit of clashing. But um, it was it also, it, it was nice just to see girls and boys hanging out together in a non-specifically romantic fashion. I mean, you, you could label that sexless, or you could label that, hey, kids, just hanging out together is kind of You could be friends with people? Yeah. What? You could be friends with girls? What? Just, no. just don't drop a tree on their droid. Yeah, they hate that. But had that that clip had that moment been written in a movie in the 70s and 80s those two fighting would have mean they had to get together by the yeah. end of the movie yeah that's pretty much it like the more you bicker the more we want to see you get together it's moonlighting it's his girl friday it's layer and ham yeah Laguna says the moment with Kylo after his battle on the wreckage of the Death Star Zori Bliss visual design the idea of a group of stormtroopers defecting the First Order together and Oscar Isaac's uncharted cosplay yes it was yes <laughs> yes thank you and I don't think it was accidental either that was mm. I honestly I feel like Oscar Isaac walked into the costume designer's room and just popped Uncharted 3 down and went could you make me that <laughs> Dwayne I really enjoyed the first 90% of the film, to be honest. The acting was pretty damn good. It's kind of a backhanded way of saying, I didn't like the last 10% of the film. You're lost, mate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's fine. That's, I mean, that's still that positive. Absolutely it, it'll do. That, that is fine. Getters. The opening crawl, the first two scenes, the reveal, the pace, the true power of Ray scene, the Emperor WTF scene near the end, the tone. Wish it was longer. Hard yes. to say. Hard saying. A lot of people want more of this. Okay. So Speedy, excellent name by the way, says, one that I love about all three movies, really, Chewie is well served and gets an iconic moment. He's not the comic relief who can't put a droid's head on the right way. He's a true character. And when he hurts, by God, we hurt too. Yeah. If you remember, Chewie had his uh, I'm going to die and then I'm not seen. Then 3PO had his I'm going to die and then I'm not seen. Then Leia had her... I'm going to die, and then she really did seem, but she already died three years ago, so I was now so thrown by death. I was just like, I'm bewildered here. Is she dead? Is she not? Can I feel this anymore? Have I done my grieving? And then Chewie heard about it and fell to his knees screaming, and I was just like, oh, God. Yeah, that started that started me for the next yeah. several minutes of, of the movie was I was a mess. Uh, Neil. Okay. I'll go this thing it's my turn this time. <laughs> we have Greg. The moment Luke contradicts himself from The Last Jedi, showing the final step of his character are from where Ray finds first finds him at the end of The Force Awakens. Lightsaber toss. <laughs> Gotta be. Yeah. Okay, so Toby. The impact of a silhouette, someone so beloved and immediately recognizable, but creates a palpable sadness from the sense of their absence. Yes, once the silhouette was there, I'm like, this really, they had nothing left of her. And, uh... Yeah, that again. That was it. Was a, a confused moment for me. The second time, 
it was more, I understood it more. And actually she doesn't disappear and become one with the Force until Ben does. Right, yeah. Yeah, I noticed that the second time too. It's something to do with a hastily retconned line about her path as a Jedi would end with the death of her son. And uh, it, it annoyed me almost because the uh, uh, the scene when all the Jedi voices are talking, I was listening out because remember in the trailer, Luke says the Force will be with you and then Leia says always and that just started the waterworks immediately. In the film, Luke says the Force will be with you always. Leia isn't present in those voices and that actually felt like shortchanging her. The Force will be with you. Always. Patch. Fix it. <laughs> I can fix it for you with an edit from the trailer. If you can patch Daniel a cat second. hand, you can patch a Star Wars. <laughs> patch a cat's hand. <laughs> okay, uh, Sharon? Uh, Daniel the first, I didn't realise I wanted them to have that lightsaber until they had it. Agreed. I didn't know that that lightsaber existed, and then I saw it, and then I wanted it. Uh, Daniel the second says, we get to choose who we are. Lineage doesn't define character. So Joe says, the Burning Man-esque festival near the beginning, good world building, makes the setting feel lived in, not just waypoints on the map of the plot. The scene with the memory. Could have been cheesy, but the two performances were A+. And BB-8 and D.O. Yep. Yep, we talked about that. Yep, that was good stuff. Uh, Chewy. Juan says, okay, I liked the festival scene. That was good. I liked the idea of who is now Ray's teacher. I liked Kylo's memory scene. I liked the lightsaber transfer scene and the grabbing of Ray's necklace scene. I liked the cinematography and the sound effects. Uh, Raphael, been trying to tell Ray something liked how it connected them in a direct new way while keeping the essence of their bond she's still his guiding light but at the same time like they never really got to have that conversation that was frustrating and it, it felt time. like um it felt like finn has spent the trilogy running after ray screaming ray like even what <laughs> he was doing in uh the last jedi was him you know trying to to get, get her back get her back and 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 that's it's something he needs to be able to move on from, which suggests that Finn needs a whole movie to actually, like, develop. And I was going to say, it doesn't feel like that's what he's done. That's what he's done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love Finn. I love John Boyega's performance. I want to see more of this guy. But in this movie, when he chases after her, he catches her at the Death Star 2, fighting with Kylo Ren, and screams out, Ray! behind her and she's briefly distracted in a kind of a what i'm fighting here way jenny nicholson said this exact same thing it's a lightsaber fight don't distract her kylo ren dies at the end of this lightsaber fight because he was distracted by his mum. could everyone stop distracting the jedi when they're doing the jedi hitting but you see how that positions their friendship as an irritation and a distraction as opposed to the thing that should be keeping Rey going. Healthy friendship with good, stable, supportive friends. Her pulling away from them is exemplary of her obsession with going down this route. But that route is the only real plot of the film. This was poorly balanced. It is, and and one of the reasons it's frustrating that there's so much trimmed out of this is there's clearly some conflict between Poe and Ray because Poe's like, Ray, we need you here. We need you in the fight. You're our best fighter. You know, you're spending a lot of time on the, the Jedi stuff, but we would, we really need you in the fight. 
So clearly, like, Finn's not exactly comfortable talking about the Force in front of Poe because then, like, that's another, hey, here's another fighter that we can't trust to just be in the fight because they've got to go learn about the Force. And so you've, you've got interesting character dynamics and minor conflicts that aren't going to break them apart mm. but are really good emotional meat to chew on. They're just kind of breezed past. Yeah, that would have been excellent interpersonal drama if we weren't so fucking hung up on Palpatine doing the same thing Palpatine. Do what Palpatine will do. Uh, Palpatine will do. Something, something dark side. Something, something. Complete. (laughs) (laughs) I do, you know what, one thing, like, okay, Ian McDermott is talented. Like, the man can chew on dialogue like nobody else. And I do really appreciate the fact that he kind of bridged the two, all three trilogies here by just vocally invoking some of the stuff that he did in, like, the prequels that he didn't do hmm. in the original trilogy. Like, where he got into um, into that, like, back of the throat slash, like, nasal like, thing that he does. Um... You mean once more the Sith will rule the galaxy? Yeah, back in there, like it kind of, it kind of brought those things together. Because when it was by itself in the prequels, it's like that's that's a weird thing. But like him being able to come back and choose it again, kind of connected it for me. Mm He's got three levels. He's got, you know, really kind of quiet, threatening, you know, know. by now you must know that your father can never be turned from the dark side. So will it be with you? And then he's got the taking the piss. Oh, I'm afraid the deflector shield will be quite operational when your friends arrive. I get it. You don't have to be a dick about it. Uh, And then he's got the way over the top. No, you will die. And it's like, I really love the first one. I kind of like the second one. Third one, I could totally do without his way over the top stuff. Like, even in the original Return of the Jedi, he holds it in where he's like, if you will not be turned, you will be destroyed. He's still very aggressive, but he keeps it on the down low. It was Revenge of the Sith where he went completely bananas. I am all there for the Emperor going bananas, but it never matches the tone of the scene. The person he's attacking or tormenting takes it very seriously, so it always feels mismatched. Okay. Austin says, the new force abilities, so that's force FedExing, everyone loves this, uh, creating a combination sword fight and psychic showdown, uh, the speeder chase, they fly now, that line, it's just people. Kauru, of all of the banter between Ray, Finn and Poe, or any combination thereof, yes, also that C-3PO after 67 years is so fucking done with all of this shit, his sarcasm is a delight. Ah, uh, Debbie said, the space battles are some of the best in the series. Dio is adorable. That knife is hella cool. Exegol is a great planet name. The cameo scene hits right in the feels. Billy D. Williams felt exactly right. Completely by him as an older Lando. Do you know what? I am so happy that she phrased it that way because effectively what she's saying there is Donald Glover is Lando now. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Billy D. Williams <laughs> just gets to play the older version of Lando. <laughs> 
the knife thing kind of threw me because I was like, I, it was like it was some goony shit right in the middle of Star Wars. It was so wonky. And then like when she like lines it up with the uh, wreckage of the Death Star two, and right. it, it's like this happened. She Fifteen years ago, spot, and she it's, had to be standing. Come on, she, she has no indication she's supposed to be standing there, and it lines up exactly with wreckage of the Death Star that hasn't shifted in fifteen years in torrential rain and savage ocean. Uh, it's just like maybe the Force is holding it in place. <laughs> okay, well, I mean it's a see, pipe. It, it's Palpatine treasure. was holding it together from where for on Exegol. <laughs> I, I, I love treasure hunts, so I'll, I'll let That's it slide. They just don't build them like they used to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and also this does kind of solve our... Um, like, we were kind of puzzled as to how Rey can be compassionate and uh, really care about people if her parents were shit and then she got left with a monster and left to fend for herself and starve to death on a desert planet if as it turns out during those first few crucial years she actually had love in her life that explains why she has such a a developed sense of justice why she is so quick and easy to love herself the anti-voldemort yeah scott says the fact that leia and luke cared for ray despite what they knew about her yeah yeah, loving loving people unconditionally, no matter where they're where they're coming from. That's that's good, important stuff. Mm. I, I think the the despite what they knew about her, though, because of what they knew about her, they both know they come from Darth Vader. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. That that could have been something they could have had a couple scenes about. Who am I to judge? Yeah, <laughs> Luke could just have said that. Huh? You can't pick your family. Yeah, but that again. How did they know? When did they know? It it was retrofitted. It's retconned into the third script. Clearly, they started out with the first one, shrouding the whole thing in mystery on purpose, and then Ryan Johnson developed that, and then JJ seemed to buckle and opt for Star Wars mainstays. Although the theme of the sins of our parents and indeed grandparents having to be put right by a younger generation. It's an eternal story, but it's really relevant now. The image of Palpatine as this withered old maniac, refusing to die, hoarding all the power, draining the strength of the young, resurrecting old prejudices, scattering and dividing people in order to repeat the same processes he did before, because he can't find a new way of doing things, shockingly relevant. Which is why this film called for a more overt, pronounced, new way of doing things. From the heroes, if not the villains. But again. Yeah, it's weird that they come to a similar place in both this and Shazam. Yeah. And the kid who would be king. I do, however, love the fact that we have the older generational allies to the kids. We need more of that in movies. Make supporting young people a worthwhile heroic act. Not just for the old people, but for the middle-aged, those who feel powerless and trapped in between two warring factions. You know, maybe support the side that are trying to fix things. Uh, Durant says, Luke and Leia's flashback. The fact that Leia is in the movie. Luke's Empire Strikes Back reference. Clone Wars and Rebels cameos. More participation of C-3PO. Luke and Leia being Rey's masters. And the talk that Kylo Ren had after his battle with Rey. Michaelson. Truly the power of love and healthy self-love, and that, to borrow some sort of from a Knight's Tale, not only can you change your stars, but the stars are full of crap. <laughs> 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 
plus I'm a sucker for almost any daddy issue anything, which is kind of all of the Star Wars. True. Yeah. Very true. <laughs> Very true. Uh, and finally, Holly. Uh, can I put in something I think all of these movies have done well? Notably that I love all of the speculation and theories and hopes that rise out of them. I've seen a wealth of content talking about what-ifs and just that the franchise is loved and that oh, that open to speculation and interpretation. I think that really shows the beauty of the universe and a love from the fan base. That is truly seeing the good, uh, making an exception for the bad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that it's, is part of the fun, isn't it? Is is you know coming up with theories and kind of guessing on mm. where things might go. But it's the key to it all is not getting too attached, so that if you're not right, it's okay. Bingo. Uh, another thing that I noticed is there is power in shared experiences. I think that came from the uh, Jana and uh, Finn relationship. The, uh, the the fact that because they both went through the same thing, there's a bond between them already. And I think, had that been explored more, that could actually have been a major theme of Star Wars. Mm, and, yeah. you know. Specifically, they both went through the same thing separately, not that they both experienced literally the same battle or the same mm. um, moment, but that they had their own separate understanding of what it was to suddenly decide that they didn't mm. want to be the thing they'd been moulded to be. So it should be obvious by now why I didn't attempt to balance my request for positive takes by asking people who hated it to also tell me why they hated it in one tweet. I don't think that really would have made anybody particularly happy. I think we've given it the context it needed. So with all that being said, um, any more themes for Rise of Skywalker that we haven't already laid down? And any more meta texts if we have somehow missed them? There's one specifically thing that I've kind of like come away. I, I think the best that you can possibly take away from Star Wars as a Star Wars fan is something that you hadn't like considered about yourself or about other people. And one thing that I find value in The Rise of Skywalker is that I, I really kind of get what it feels like to have been a fan of the prequels because I can get the big fundamental problems that people have with this movie but there's still so much that really resonates and works for me and it's just kind of like a you know like you said a a coming to peace with something that is frustrating or unsatisfactory or something that you feel kind of outside the loop of and just kind of going okay that's what it's okay that's okay recognizing something about yourself, learning something new about yourself, I think that's that's the best thing that you can take away out of any frustrating piece of art is how it reflects back on you and makes you reconsider certain elements that you'd thought you'd known about yourself. A lot of people have quite astutely pointed out that Rey ending up at the Lars homestead and burying the two lightsabers there is misjudged. Leia was never connected to Tatooine. Luke couldn't wait to leave that farm. The scene has several functions, including laying these two to rest, planting a pair of seeds in the ground in the form of the twin sabers for future Force users to find. Make no mistake, the moisture farm is there for our benefit as viewers, same as George brought us back there at the end of Revenge of the Sith. 
The hero's journey ends with the hero returning home, and JJ hasn't had to end one before outside of the TV show Felicity, where Carrie Russell, Zori, ends up going back home. Somewhere along the way, <laughs> somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, Ray went from a similar journey to Luke's to actually finishing Luke's journey for him here, rather than on the symbolically similar Jakku. Since Alderaan no longer exists and we never got to see our friends happy on a planet that truly felt like home, a slightly better, little bit more visually challenging rather than nostalgia-poking move would have been to end at Ben Kenobi's house. Bury the sabers there. It wasn't where Luke Skywalker slept and Owen farmed moisture and Baru prepared blue milk. Kenobi is the guy who watched over Luke knowing what he had to do when the time was right. This was where Anakin's cursed lightsaber rested for 19 years. This is where Luke first connected with Leia when he saw her as a hologram for more than a glimpse. On a side note, she last saw him as a hologram at the end of The Last Jedi. Patrick Willems figured that out. Kenobi was the man whom Leia's son was named after. So, you know, if Ben Solo had been alive and there too, that's an even better moment of the old helping the younger generations to move forward. This site was where the last remnants of the Jedi rested and waited. This was where Luke's journey really started. I guess time will tell how much additional symbolism can be layered onto what this goodbye for now ended up as. We can put the bravest shine on the Palpatine blood reveal, and in this show we have. Rey defies her lineage to confound his plans. However, retrospectively it gets a bit murky. There's two elements to this reveal. The positive one is that she defies her lineage. The negative one is that she had a sudden, significant lineage in the first place. This decision does away with how the first two films started and ended, Ray, a random orphan, had become the focus of the light side of the Force. Presumably, she got a boost sometime after Luke's Jedi students were killed, and, by the way, the specifics of this were never addressed because it's dark as hell, and it might make us hate Ben, if we don't already. Because if he assisted in killing them, he's a school shooter, and that would test the sympathies of the most generous individuals. But that was when she was Ray from nowhere. Now the most basic reading of this third film retroactively makes it seem like Ben was powerful because he was descended from Anakin and Rey was powerful because she was descended from Palpatine. From now on, she's always going to have been a Palpatine. And all those guys who said that they just couldn't accept that just some random girl was this powerful, so powerful in fact that she had to be a Mary Sue, well, whatever we feel, they get to tell themselves that a powerful man, specifically one that we already know, gave her that power with his special DNA. So yeah, in an ideal world, we can just go, ah, who cares what they think and who cares what they say? A lot of people care. A lot of people are being pushed away from Star Wars because of guys like this. Throughout this past week, I've seen people going, you know what? 
They're saying I'm not a real fan. They can keep the fandom. And back to the special DNA, Chris Terrio's interviews seem to corroborate this clumsy approach to the mechanics, ignoring the deeper meaning. She's force royalty, and so was Ben. And that's the plot-based reason that they're special. And I'm going to spoil my 2016 book, The Princess Thieves, a little here. This was written a year before The Last Jedi, but a year after The Force Awakens. Obviously, this was in my head. Princess Gwendolyn finds out that she's a baker's daughter, positioned as royalty and used to dupe the British public, who prefer to be lied to than accept harder truths. And this revelation is devastating to Gwen, but she rebuilds herself, assigns her own responsibilities, and flourishes in her character as a result. Now, I don't think Abrams hated The Last Jedi. I think he's a great director, and I love all of his other films. I do, however, think this whole third act of the trilogy was written with a great deal less consideration for what it meant going both forwards and backwards than the first two were. Now, I've watched several of the more thorough analyses after recording this show, and in fact, I'm re-recording this extra section here after having released the episode for preview on Patreon. And I'm going to be thinking about these films for a long time. The channel Just Right was harsh but astute in their summations, though I clearly get much more out of the Abrams films, including his Star Treks. There was one exceptionally good point that he made about Rose Tico. Since the massive, very coordinated fleet of just people turn up to save the day at the very end, when they didn't originally answer the call for help in The Last Jedi, there's a whole plot thread that could have been very ably filled by Rose, not even filling up that much screen time, but laying down this premise. Since she defined, this is how we're going to win, not by destroying what we hate, saving what we love, conferring moral superiority for the resistance over the First Order, Rose should be the one to go from place to place, planet to planet, begging everybody to come and help in this last final push. I'm imagining scenes where Kelly Marie Tran talks with an ambassador and screws it up and then has to control a panic attack as she realizes that people will now die because she could not convince enough people that this was a worthwhile cause. That is shockingly relevant right now. And she can be very much inspired by Leia and keep the spirit of her in this movie, even though we don't get Carrie Fisher. But when she fails in these desperate acts of diplomacy, it's very easy to see her feeling like, why am I doing this? Why am I even here? I should be working behind pipes. She's a hobbit. And I mean that in the absolute best way possible. She's Samwise Gamgee. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. And hey, maybe she's assisted by Lando. Maybe they go to Canto Bight or somewhere similar and ask immensely rich people to do something good even pointing out that their way of remaining obscenely wealthy is in jeopardy as well. And then a bunch of just people eventually do start coming together, and the wealthy end up with no choice but to muck in, because the only way you motivate the super-rich is to give them no more excuses, and make it very clear that this is in their own interests and they lose money by not doing something. And it's old-ass Boomer Lando who works that shit out. So when they all turn up at the end and those two are leading the charge, it's like the old and the young coming together to actually get stuff done. Oh, shivers. 
and just right planted that seed in my head and I wish that the film had had that thread in there. But just right and I are in accordance that Ray choosing her own name was a good idea, though just right was not happy with that name being Skywalker. And I urge you to watch that video, by the way. That self-naming is a way of rejecting the Palpatine bloodline, effectively headcanoning the core revelation of this film we just watched right out. And I suppose it's okay if we do that too. The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi form an unusual, harmonious duet that we don't often see in films. A dyad, if you will. The first two Terminator and Alien pictures spring to mind, after which point the following movies seem to lose sight of the ethos that the series began with. Seen as just a duo, with Ryan Johnson's incredibly efficient conglomeration of The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, we get a wonderful finale of kids inspired by tales of Luke Skywalker even after he thought his legend was ill-fitting. He managed to live up to it in the end, taking responsibility for his failure. We see Rey flying away from the unredeemed Kylo, having killed his smug turd master for his own benefit, and remaining alive. That is the opposite of Vader. And then also, very much alive, Leia assures Rey and us, the audience, that we have everything we need. It thus ends very differently from the original Star Wars trilogy, adding layers of complexity and introspection, which means we have moved forwards rather than backslid. And by the time that we must make our peace with the fact that these confused events of Rise of Skywalker really did happen unavoidably, and they have enough of a pronounced knock-on effect on future events, then, much like the prequels, enough time will have passed, and we'll have plenty of new Star Wars to connect with, and it won't hurt as much. This, too, shall pass. Obviously, this only applies if you love The Force Awakens, and in particular, The Last Jedi. If you weren't fussed about The Force Awakens, and especially if you hated The Last Jedi, then maybe this third film, in fact, heals some of that. And if you love the prequels, I've got a feeling that millennial nostalgia might be up and coming on Disney's list of things to do. They've scored with the Gen Xers already. You prequel fans might be in for a treat. But again, if like me, you love The Last Jedi, we have The Last Jedi. And hey, we might even get a director able to not only critique the mishandled films of the past, but contextualize them in a whole new way that advances Star Wars to new levels. Somebody get Ryan Johnson a trilogy. Okay, let me tell you about the new way I'm looking at Star Wars. And this is effectively a coping mechanism for dealing with the more toxic elements of the fandom. Being able to look beyond that, being able to connect with people and allow people to connect with each other through 
our shared love of Star Wars by acknowledging its variety, rather than by fixating on our differences. So I've seen people ranking by number the uh, Star Wars movies over the past few weeks, and that's kind of on the right track, but I figured there's actually a better way of doing it. Mainly because my top Star Wars films, when I watch them, whatever the last one I watched is my favorite. So I thought about it and then arranged them into class. So this isn't exactly a ranking system and it's not a statement on quality, but it's a generalized tier system based on how positively I respond to them on a personal level. This is just to help me get some perspective and anyone can do it. So at the top I've got The Empire Strikes Back, The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. Obviously, that's not going to be the same for everyone, so you have your personal arrangement at the top, the ones that you just resonate with. And that's S-Class. Under that, in A-Class, you've got Star Wars and Return of the Jedi. Again, these are for me. Under that, in B-Class, Rogue One, Solo, and Rise of Skywalker. For those interested, when I did my rewatches recently, I kind of warmed up to the better elements of Rogue One. The production design is top-notch. And that music by Michael Giacchino. When you come to it after The Force Awakens, at least if you're me, not so great. When you come to it after the prequel trilogy, ah, suddenly it's a good film. Hence this tier system. And then something about Solo clicked with me when I realized, oh, Han Solo was never cool. It was all an act. I mean, he was cool, but that was just when his act succeeded. And that kind of unlocked the film for me. I don't love it, but I don't have all those negative feelings directed towards it either. And I feel better. Happy Star. And I know it sounds a little kindergartney to go, Happy Star, Angry Star. But there's just so many things to be angry about in this world. I'd really like not to be angry about a film about space wizards. I don't think I have that much life left to be angry. So I'm going to save it up for when it matters. Use it as fuel, not just burning myself out. And I'm putting these in chronological order because, like I said, as soon as I watch one, it'll be top of that particular class. And then finally, we've got your C-class films, The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, and the Clone Wars movie. Now, I'm just putting the theatrically released ones on there, I've seen people say they want to put the Ewok movies up there, which were made for TV, or even the Star Wars Holiday Special. And that's fine. That is your list. But I feel like if everyone can create a list like this to get that overview perspective on Star Wars, and we acknowledge that everyone's list is going to be different, we can move past this original trilogy, prequels, the good ones are old, the bad ones are new, dichotomy. There's too many films now, and there will be so many more for it to be this oversimplified. And I know there's this obsession with ranking online, and this fixation with putting everything into boxes. But this is different. Rather than putting everything into boxes and forcibly requiring everybody to accept that those things are in those boxes and cannot be ever let out, this is our personal organization. And acknowledging that everyone else's is different is really healthy. I put this out on Twitter and asked everyone for theirs, and I just put in brackets afterwards, be nice, and I got loads of responses, and only one person who was not from our community 
took the opportunity to throw the last Jedi in the trash and just be a shit about it. Everyone else just seemed to think it was a good idea and they were in on the spirit of it. And just accept that everyone kind of loves Star Wars as a whole and has different preferences. We might actually begin to start approaching what feels like a fandom again. Anyway, something to think about. Another thing to think about is our $15 patrons who get sponsor credit every episode. So thank you to Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Haskell, Marty Huey, David Sheely, Kevin Vahey, Daniel Salguero, Connor Kennedy, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, Johan Clayson, Tyler Long, Joe Gasiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosensky, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dashler, and Lorraine Chisholm. I believe that will do it for Star Wars this time around, lady and gentlemen. Obviously, we will be back in future installments, though we hope that Disney won't run this series into the ground underwhelmingly like they seem to be doing with their live-action remakes. Before we go, let's let the listeners know where they can find your best work. Brendan? Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at BLC Agnew, where I post links to stuff. Usually it's to Synapse, that's C-I-N-A-P-S-E dot C-O, where we contribute to the uh, the Two Cents column, where we talk about a movie of the week. Sometimes you can read uh, Sharon's work there if we do The Dark Crystal. Hmm. Um, you can also uh, go visit my blog at, at normannerd.blogspot.com. Um, I'm quite proud of the uh, the reviews that I did of both Knives Out and The Rise of Skywalker, as well as a somewhat um, pedantic but also uh, exhaustive coverage of how Frozen 2 completes a very seismic genre shift for Disney's princess movies. And uh, I'm curious to see what they're doing going forward. All right. Neil? You can find me over at Gameburst at Gameburst.co.uk where we appear about once a month now to bring you roundtables. And Alex Eading? I am off social media these days for the most part. So Understandably. Can, yeah, it's hard out there. Uh, so you can find uh, my work and link stuff uh, for my voiceover work on alexeating.com. Uh, and also, you need stuff voiced? Hey, give me a call. I do need stuff voiced. I might think well, about hey, that, actually. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe <laughs> I will. Um, okay, so Chewy. Hi, I'm Chewy, and you can find me anywhere on the internet as The Manipool. Uh, that's Twitter at The Manipool. YouTube, where I have daily video game videos going up. Twitch, where I play, well, video games and do the two Magic the Gathering podcasts that I do, which will be starting back up uh, in 2020. Okay. And if you're on our Patreon, you will be able to hear what I imagine is quite a bit of deleted material from this episode, trimmed off for pacing and for time reasons, and arranged on our bonus feed for everyone who supports us for five bucks or more. In fact, I have just finished editing it. It is 53 minutes of extra footage, including my lengthy original intro, which I cut because I wanted to get straight to the meat of Star Wars. And next week, we kick off our year of... Spielberg, with a little movie about a fish that you may have heard of called Jaws. Uh, 
Chris no, Chipman no. is joining no. us for that one. Also, if you have Disney+, Plus, get watching Gravity Falls, because we are doing a month of shows on every episode of that amazing animated series. And those will be out in March, when the rest of the world gets Disney+. Plus. And yes, before you start tweeting us, we probably will watch The Mandalorian and do a show on that. 2020 may end up being just as much of a shit show as the past three years, but even though I can honestly say, this has been one of our absolute best years of podcasts. I mean, let's look back on it. The Good Place, Goodwill Hunting, The Highlander Shows, Crazy Rich Asians, Lego Movie 2, The Matrix, We Need to Talk About Fandom, Captain Marvel, Get Out, Endgame, John Wick, Detective Pikachu, Godzilla King of the Monsters, Inside Out, The Last Unicorn, Sing Street, 300, oh, Arrival. That one's going to be tough to be. The Shining, Frozen, Moana, and The Dark Crystal. But somehow we want to try and do better. I don't know how be fun finding out come join us on patreon come join us on the discord we got a great community so i've been alex shaw i've been sharon shaw and And may may the the force be with you. you